Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. We recorded this episode with our friend Sarah from the band Transviolet. We first met Sarah when Sleeping Lion opened for Transviolet at the Peppermint Club in Los Angeles. We hit it off and began writing together at the start of 2018. Together, we co-wrote and produced their song Long Shot off their last EP, Valley, and we've performed together twice, first at the Peppermint Club and second at the Echo a few months ago. Some context for this interview. Transviolet recently put out their EP, Valley, after switching labels, and they're currently hard at work on their new record. They also recently came back from the Cayman Islands, where they performed at the musical festival, Kaboo. Also, Sarah's younger brother, Matt, is our housemate. A quick content warning. In this episode, we talk at some length about depression and suicide. If you or anyone you know is struggling with this, we truly hope you'll seek help or call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Sarah, Judah, Mike, and John have all become amazing and supportive friends since we first met, and they've always been open to talking about some of the more complicated sides of the music industry. Likewise, their music, their performances, and their creativity as a whole is energetic, poignant, and captivating. So, without further ado, I'm Sarah from Transviolet, and you're listening to Talking Lion. <laughs> uh, daylight savings time is up. That's the uh, that's yes. the, the thing. I'm feeling it. Why is it even a thing anymore? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We were talking about it like right before it started, but it feels dangerous. It is dangerous. Actually, research proves that it's dangerous, and heart attacks go up by tw- I think it was like 21 percent or something the week of daylight savings, which is wild. If there was anything else that caused that kind of rise in heart attacks, I feel like the week could like stop. Like, we would like stop. Yeah. yeah, we would just stop that. It's not like we, I think, what did like Benjamin Franklin invented or something like that? I th- I th- actually, no, it was invented by a guy who was studying bugs and he wanted more hours in the day to study his bugs. Yeah. I feel like that's such a niche <laughs> thing to well, like make everybody wake up earlier for, like for this guy's bugs. I, I relate. I mean, I'm like, I would like another hour too, but I'm also not gonna like kill, you know, people. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's supposed to maximize <laughs> the amount of daylight in the working day, but it also like what. But it doesn't actually change the amount of daylight. Like you, like the guys that want to play with bugs could just wake up an hour earlier and let us all go about our lives. Yeah, I mean that's that's ultimately true. (laughs) (laughs) Like you could just, you know what I mean? Like nobody's stopping anybody from just waking up an extra hour earlier. Yeah, I mean I voted to change it. Me too. (laughs) It wasn't even like a vote to change it though. It was like a vote to talk about talk about changing it it? if the country ever decides (laughs) to change it. And it's like okay, cool. Like that's probably not going to happen. Which yeah, always good to have like a resolution where it's just like oh yeah we're gonna talk about doing this thing that's could you imagine like anything else that's like, how yeah. the entire un works to be fair <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna talk about uh going to yoga more this year yeah. my new year's resolution is to talk about uh <laughs> making more music i like that that's kind of like more uh, realistically how new year's resolutions work out though like yeah. your friend that's like i'm gonna you know go to the gym more they just talk about going to the gym more that's all that really happens well i love that uh, again uh, maybe the show just naming random statistics um i don't know the number though <laughs> but apparently it's just like like 
an obscene surge in January of gym membership. Oh yeah, there but is. then just like go back in February. In February. In I would love like to just see that stop graph. coming. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. I, I love to imagine <laughs> that like the execs at like um, a gym are just like planning and prepared for it. You know, they're like, oh, this is. You know, this is a great time for us. There's to probably ads that, that are like, fulfill your New Year's resolutions. Like, come yeah. to this gym. Yeah, this is their time to shine. This is your time to shine. I, th- I think resolutions are very interesting because I know people, and I, I, I am one of those people who just, like, I make lists. Like, there's all these things. Yeah, that, like, you make very detailed lists. I've seen your list. <laughs> you, make, you keep track of exactly how many songs you've written, how many sessions you've been in each year, which I think is great. I have, like, no idea. Like, my dad is always like, so how many songs do you think you've written now? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely somewhere between 50 and 500. I don't know. Well, because, like, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like my, like my competition is always with myself, which is obviously such a... Uh, like platitude, like poster on the wall thing. But, you know, because if somebody, if like some other songwriter is like, oh, I wrote like 200 songs this year. In my head, I'm, I will always go, because I'm just an elitist like this. I'll be like, are all of them good? Are, you yeah, know, uh, no, it's did, true. did you travel? Did you do this? Did you like, like what were the parameters that allowed you to do 200 songs? And whereas, like, what are you counting as a song? Whereas like, mm-hmm. I you know, know I mean? yeah, yeah, like I know exactly like which ones I liked, which ones I didn't, and yeah. like what that um, on like the scale meant. Yeah. So if I'm like, okay, I did, you know, a hundred something songs last year, my competition is now against that that kid, you know? Yeah. That like year younger. That's a good way to look at it. Um, what what was your resolution this year? Uh, I think our resolution was, um well, like one of like the 145 resolutions yeah oh my god uh yeah i guess what was your like top three so we don't spend the rest <laughs> yeah. of the podcast talking about all your resolutions it's like, it's like welcome to talking line with sarah we're gonna be talking about nate's, nate's, resolutions new, year's, resolutions. nate's yeah. new year's resolutions um, in march oh, i don't know uh i mean there were things like write more songs but then like right under it was like do less sessions so yeah. at least it was like pushing me to like write write for yourself um, maybe i want to travel more so i had to go to rome and ireland and israel nice. and all that um uh, I'm trying to think of like uh, you know, skydive. Um, you want to go skydiving? You're down. Yeah, win a I'm Grammy. I'm kind of scared. I'm like scared. I'm not really scared that I'll die. I'm more just scared I would like break my legs and then like not be able to go on tour or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like the the number of people who like have like terrible uh, skydiving. But also here's it's the thing, improbable. Like, but I would just feel like an asshole if I did get hurt because I was like I didn't need to be doing that. Whereas yeah. like if I got hurt in a car accident, I'll be like, well, that was unavoidable. But Whereas, like, like, but, like if how I'm jumping out of a plane. Been, like, going like in and out or whatever like you know not every car ride that we go on is necessarily like necessary (laughs) um i guess yeah yeah i mean like you know one time like uh, yeah i'm like oh yeah i want to drive down to the cafe as opposed to walk to the cafe and if i got into a car accident where i like broke my ankle or you could also get hit by a car walking always you You could die and you'd really die at any (laughs) moment yeah but I want to go. Life sky- is short. That's I want to go, sk- go skydiving because I want to know what like the the hubbub's about. Oh yeah, and no. Some people, people are do. really stoked on it. Like yeah. I worked with this guy once who I think he'd been on like three hundred skydives, and he was like, he he said it like changed his life. Like it changed his entire outlook on well, life. That's the thing. Like I feel like I've I've tra- traveled a lot for somebody my age, and you know we've I've gotten to play in front of people, and you know I've I've had. like pretty profound experiences and I know that not everyone is going to hit me so I'm like okay what are the ones that are going to still feel because now more or less like we have to kind of like dole ourselves out a little bit and be like okay like we're in this like here's we got to do some work we got to do this thing like you know there's there's always now more like of an intention doing something we're skydiving it's like I'm going to jump out of a plane and see yeah see how it goes you know 
But yeah, you know, because you know, life life is short. It could be daylight savings time. We could all get a heart attack today. Yeah, that's, that's true. How it works. That's true. I kind of feel like I might have a heart attack today. <laughs> if today, if today was gonna be, or if any day was gonna be a day to have a heart attack, today would be the day. You heard it here first, folks. Sarah's gonna <laughs> yeah. have a heart attack. On, on oh God! Don't air. say it. Knock on wood somewhere. Yeah. Also, the the Italian uh, corollary to knock on wood is toccafetto, which means touch iron. So as long oh, as you touch either metal or, or wood, wood, you're good. You're safe. Okay, yeah. good. All right. That's. I mean, that's fair. So, so we're not we're not dying today. I think. <laughs> I think we're okay. My New Year's resolution is like that and traveling um and you know obviously gold record grammy nomination world domination start the podcast that was one of them yeah oh look at you well we did it we did it you're doing Um, it but yeah well thanks for for being of course yeah happy to come and talk about nonsense welcome to uh welcome to the the normal show (laughs) with uh, normal normal nate and normal noah (laughs) simply simply sarah only the ordinary (laughs) so you've had like one of the coolest like music journeys because it started far and then came back to to la but were you born in the cayman islands no i was actually born in scottsdale arizona I moved when I was five, and then we moved to um, Los Osos, California, and then we kind of stuck around Central California, but lived in a few small cities around there. Lived in Atascadero for a while, lived in San Miguel for a while. Um, so yeah, I just kind of bopped around different cities in, in the Central Coast, and then um, ended up moving to the Cayman Islands when I was about 15. What prompted like all the moving? Um, I think my parents were just like antsy. I don't know. Like I, that's like looking back, like that's the only answer I can really come up with. Like there's not, that doesn't seem like there's any like big reason. Um, they just like to move around and, uh, but moving to the Cayman Islands there, my dad had a stroke when I was 14. Um, yeah. And, uh, he was unable to work for a while and he needed to be, um, under no stress and couldn't be in cold weather. So, uh, moving to the Cayman Islands was kind of like the only option because, uh, my family had like a house there that we could stay in for free and be able to just like chill and kind of get back on our feet um so yeah we moved there it was a big it was a big surprise (laughs) like I I literally had my schedule for my freshman year of high school and like had already planned out like what classes I was going to be um in with my friends and all that stuff so yeah as as much as people are like wow you got to live in this tropical island and how cool is that at the time I was I did not think it was very cool you were were leaving your friends and everything (laughs) yeah yeah it was like oh you know you I was gonna you know go have high school with all my friends and then just being kind of torn away from all of that and just sent to this island in the middle of nowhere with a completely different (laughs) culture it's like Max Keeble's big move have you ever seen the no I haven't oh it was like uh, this kid uh finds out he's going on this move and and so he like becomes the class clown and does like all the things he never it's like last day alive yeah you do get to like I mean Every time I moved, you do kind of get to like reinvent yourself. And I think like the more, because I ended up living in 14 different cities as an adolescent. So, wow, like before you were 15? Uh, no, I've, before I was 18. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was moving around a lot. And so I, I think by like the fifth or sixth move, I was like, oh, well, this is actually kind of a good opportunity. I can just totally mm-hmm. fake being confident. And <laughs> I think it was like one of my first experiences with understanding that, uh, you can just fake it till you make it. Like if, if you're pretending to be confident, it, it looks the same as just being confident <laughs> and people will believe you. Like I, I remember the specific interaction I had this with this girl um, when I moved to the Cayman Islands and 
Uh, I think I'd been at the school for like, you know, four or five days and I was, I was totally faking it, just pretending, <laughs> you know, that I was this confident person when really I was super insecure and anxious and everything else. And this, you know, one of my friends at the time, uh, she was like, wow, like, I just don't understand how you're so confident and like how you just talk to everybody and how you're not nervous at all. And I remember tell, even like confiding in her, being like, actually, I'm like scared shitless. Like I'm just <laughs> pretending to be okay with all of this. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like um, uh, Vonnegut was like, you know, be careful who you pretend to be because you, mm. you are who you, you pretend to be. It's- it's like, so true. So, You'll so, turn into that person. Yeah, you more or less like wear the mask of, of, of whatever. But um, did you have well, what what did you want to be when you when you like while you were growing up? I always wanted to be an artist. I um kind of like flip flopped on what medium I wanted to be in. So I, I would I wanted to be a singer, and then I wanted to be a songwriter, and then I wanted to be like an actual like a fine artist like I wanted to be a painter mm-hmm. I wanted to and then I wanted to be an animation artist for a while so I kind of like I knew I always wanted to make something out of nothing I wanted to create I le- I liked expressing myself I liked having these outlets but it was always just this battle between the two like the visual arts and, and you know music so well, I'm always floored like Matt like sculptures the sculptures yeah he's like, he's really good yeah he's really really good and um yeah I I'll, would always I'll see them on the table like little faces like really so detailed, detailed faces. yeah we're yeah. talking about my little brother by the way yeah. Matthew, yeah. who's actually also uh, the roommate of the Lions. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks for letting my brother be, be in your house. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> one of one of like my favorite people. Like yeah, he's, he's been he's like, one the of my best favorite people housemate. too. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like I, you know, he's like, oh, I do a little bit of art. Like, do you mind if you know? Like occasionally, like I do it at the table. I'm like, yeah, do your do your art. I, was, I thought he was gonna be drawing, and then like I, I come down and I see these um, like figures and like these faces. I'm like. Talented family, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, our parents were always really encouraging of, of that kind of stuff. Were they were they musical? My dad is actually a singer and songwriter as well. Um, mm. He was a Caymanian folk singer, so uh, like a lot of like the folk albums you'll hear, whether it's like a compilation album, like his songs will be on those. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, and uh, and then my great aunt Layla um, actually wrote the Caymanian national anthem. Wow. Yeah. So it's like it's super crazy. So it's like, like Caymanian like royalty. Like you're, you're like <laughs> musical musical royalty. It's like <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of talent in our family for sure. And then my mom like she says that she's not musical, but she actually like can play the piano and stuff like that. So yeah, I grew up around like surrounded by music. And every time we'd go to a family reunion, someone was whipping out a guitar and people were singing harmonies, and <laughs> it was just like you know just normal. To Reminds do that. Me of, of my Thanksgiving, like my uncle and my dad would like swap out on the piano. And we'd all be singing. Yeah, do you, so fun. would you like jam with your dad as a kid? Was totally. That like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, he and he would like. My dad's an amazing singer, but he's like one of those people that just is like he's so good at it that he can't. He doesn't understand how anybody else is like not good at it. So <laughs> when I was young, he would like try to give me these singing lessons, but he'd get so frustrated. He would just be like, <laughs> just, so easy yeah, for yeah. Him. He'd be like, just sing the high note. I don't get it. Just get, go, like just go there. I'm like, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> my, my dad was actually very nervous uh, when I started singing because he he was like, you're a great piano player. Like, why would you? Oh, do something like, you're bad at. Like, why would you? Both. Why would you like spread yourself thin or like try to like promote yourself as a singer? I remember he'd be almost like discouraging, and it came from a nice place. But he'd be like, "Oh yeah, you sound like a dying cat." Like he Aww. was, he, he would be. But you know, yeah. now now like, he's he's like apologized for it, but he came from a good place. <laughs> he was like, he he was under the impression that if you could do one thing well. Yeah. You shouldn't try to do other, other things. things that you're See, not yeah, as like my parents were like the opposite. My parents were always like so supportive, like to a fault. To where now looking back, I kind of I'm like, you guys 
maybe should have like given me a little heads up like hey like maybe you should you know not just like sign the first (laughs) record deal that's like put in front of you or hey like maybe you should um actually take some piano lessons or (laughs) stuff like that they were just like you're so amazing at everything (laughs) you do you know I feel very lucky I like you know supportive parents like no I've got supportive Mm -hmm. parents but like part of me is like you know when I meet somebody who's like yeah I really had to like prove to my parents like that this was worth it I'm like yeah me too yeah yeah it's like I I I had struggles (laughs) doing (laughs) yeah my parents were always just like everything I did was just like profound and brilliant and I'm like even it wasn't I would get embarrassed they'd be like like, oh I'm really proud of you I'm like don't say that like I felt like my skin (laughs) falling (laughs) but uh, we're lucky well yeah no No. we're definitely like you know don't want to like shoo that away It's it's just interesting because you're right like if you don't learn the lessons from growing up, you wind up having to learn them eventually. Yeah, well, someone else are. is going to reject you eventually exactly. or tell you that it's not good enough or tell you that, like, hey, you probably need to, like, practice a little more or, you yeah, know. Yeah, you have to have – that's going to happen. That was going it's to gonna going gonna music school, just being yeah. s- surrounded by, like, yeah. the people who were just better than you. like, all right, well, I, I, I can talk. That's my uh, – Yeah. I'll do that. But what's uh, – how old were you when you, when you first – started writing stuff and do you remember the the name of your first song i um so my mom claims that i was writing songs at like three and i think like she that term is like very loosely like i would just be like bab you know babbling like gibberish songs (laughs) like just making up songs like silly songs uh the first song i can remember writing i was 17 i think uh, and it was called I Am Peter Pan and it was just kind of like about not wanting to grow up and like not, you know, just like not not being like into this idea of like having to be responsible or like get a real job or any of these things. It was like, it was, I listen back now and it's like interesting because there's just like no like melodic structure, just like kind of, it's just this like melodic adventure where there's just like kind of no uh, no end point or starting point, but it's it's fun to listen to. I, uh, I grew up like listening to Yes, you know, which also never really had like a chorus or whatever yeah, like yeah. progress so I always thought that like a song was supposed to be you start at point A you end at like point Z point X yeah, yeah, and, so, yeah. You know, and every and like, you could do section, whatever you want yeah, yeah exactly. all section. so like I didn't know what a chorus was until mm-hmm. you know 17 yeah or I remember when I first started working with John and Mike and you know they were like oh is this the pre I was like what the fuck is a pre like what are you talking about and they're like oh pre-chorus I was like oh I don't know is that a, is that a bridge they're like no that's that's a pre-chorus <laughs> so, so uh, on the spot make up a story about how you met Mike and John uh, yeah, so actually Mike and John and Judah and I all are half siblings and Whoa. yeah, we met on uh, 23 and me <laughs> and uh, yeah, apparently we all have the same dad. He's like been <laughs> donating sperm since like the 80s when it was like it not regulated. So um, he has like thousands of children and you know, we've met each other, but I think there's like 500 of us out there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys start a bigger band. Yeah. We can start a really yeah. big band, like the Partridge family on, on you know, We'd call steroids. it like the donors. I love it. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. That, yeah. We're called the offspring. Or- yeah, the offspring. <laughs> maybe I feel, I feel like that one's, I feel like yeah. one's taken. Oh, you know? yeah. Like, think you, maybe you're right. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it's very conceptual, this this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, at least, like, you know, there won't be any ambiguity about, like, why you guys started it's, yeah you know, yeah it's like, you know oh, there were five, why are there 500 people in the band it's yeah like, i wonder what that session's like you have to like Ugh. rent out a small auditorium yeah with like yeah. a bunch of couches just, that sounds uh, like a nightmare that sounds I like would an have. absolute nightmare so now so 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 real real story how did you john and and uh mike all all come come 
Uh, yeah, so I kind of like catfished the band I, <laughs> I on accident. I didn't mean to. Um, I had the best of intentions. But I was actually living in the Cayman Islands, and I knew that I wanted to pursue a music career and find a band because at the time I was just singing at open mic nights with me and my acoustic guitar. And so I set up a profile on a very dodgy musician networking site called Bandmix. <laughs> um, and... Every other message I got on Bandmix was like just shy of a dick pic. Like it was just kind of dudes being like, being like, hey, girl, hey, like want to write music together. And there'd like never be any music attached. It was just like their picture. And you're like, why are you sending me your photograph? Um, So when Mike finally reached out and there was this like amazing track attached, I was like, oh, shit, this is actually really fresh and interesting. You know, I want to lay some vocals over this. Um, but then I was like, oh, shit, but I should probably tell him I'm not actually in San Diego <laughs> where I said I was. <laughs> so I had to break it to him. I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I totally love this. and want to sing over this, but I'm actually like 3,000 miles away <laughs> on the other side of the country in the Cayman Islands. And I have $40 in my bank account and no real like way to get over to San Diego. But I'm like, I'm determined I'm going to get over there somehow. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. You know, Mike, he's like so laid back. Um, so we just were writing remotely. Um, like he would send me a track. I'd record the vocals in my little bedroom um, on my laptop and send those back to him. And he'd mix them in the track. And that's how we wrote the first, our first six songs together was just sending files back and forth. Um, what year was that? This was in 2000. I want to say 2010 or 2011. Mm. I know he first contacted me in 2010, but I was like kind of in the middle of trying to move. So mm. I like didn't hit him back immediately. And he like had to keep bothering me like, <laughs> hey, like, are you going to write, are you going to sing some vocals over this or what? And finally I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I will, I will. And did um, Mike know John? Yeah. So they were in a band together previously. Um, it was like a pop, like a pop punk kind of band <laughs> called Macchio Star. And they all knew, and they knew Judah too. Like they all went to the same high school. So that's oh, wow. all, they all knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did finally make my way to San Diego, uh, despite all the odds. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we continued to make music together and then we got, um, discovered, I guess by a, a record label and they moved us out to LA. Was that still under noise floor? Yeah. This uh. was when we were still noise floor. Um, then we moved, yeah, we were moved out to LA. Um, that's about around that time we like reached out to Judah and we're like, Hey, like we need a guitarist and you know, you seem cool. <laughs> I want to be in our band. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, and Judah like really picked up, like he, he was, you know, had like a job and like was in another band and he just like quit the band he was in and like <laughs> moved across the country and sold all of his things. Oh wow. And like drove across the country in his car. Yeah. So Where it was, was like he living super before? Wild. Uh, I think he was living in New York. He was living in oh, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I so, forgot they're all from Rochester. They're all from Rochester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm the only one that's not from Rochester. So the band has like a mixed identity because people would be like, oh, this band's from Rochester. And then I'd be like, oh, the band's from the Cayman Islands or the band's from California. Well, what's, what's so funny is when they call themselves New Yorker, like I have to like bite my tongue because I'm just like, in my head, being a New Yorker is like Long Island. Yeah, the city, yeah, not upstate. My suburb and then yeah. like upstate New York. Rochester is like, like, a different is like thing. basically Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd agree with you. But yeah, this is a very hot take. This, this is, is very, very controversial. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo is definitely. And and uh, I don't know, I don't know how uh, fair it is that they're not here to defend themselves, <laughs> but I'll I'll stick up for them and say they, they definitely call themselves. I'm just kidding. As a New Yorker, as a proper, you know, as a proper. New as Yorker. a proper, you're from Boston. <laughs> no, I'm from New York. I grew what? up in New York. Oh, I thought you're from Boston. No, I yeah, 18 years in uh, in New York, and then we, oh, we, we met okay. we met in, in Boston. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. 
So I, I can call myself a Bostonian if it like if I need to. If it to. suits you. That's kind of <laughs> like how I am. Like I've been in so many different places. I just kind of call myself like whatever I feel like that day. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's about like whatever like uh, works best in like the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. I, I always say like I, I'm in Los Angeles, uh, grew up in New York, you know, then via Boston. Just that makes that's through. nice. And no, it's complicated, you know. Yeah, everyone's always like, what's home for you? I'm like, uh... I'm like that. Yeah, I'm like, I don't really have a Rome, home. I yeah, guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's like now LA. St- stories from Zimbabwe. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm at the point now to where I've lived in LA longer than I've lived anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I guess LA feels like home. But then recently when I went back to the Cayman Islands for that festival, I was like, oh, this feels like home because <laughs> all my family is there. And, you know, we were doing like interviews on the like local news there. And like, so they're like, how does it feel to be back home? I'm like, is this my home? I guess it is kind of home. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it's like where your, most of your family is. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't know where this, uh, for some reason, the line popped in my head. Maybe it's original. Maybe it's, I'm stealing it from somebody. It's like home is where your heart breaks. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like where, you know, you go through like the first struggles with family or yeah. with like relationships or everything. It's like where you, you like, I guess, feel. Become who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be like the place you live in now. Like we're all becoming who we are as well now, but. Every day. Um, I think it can be like multiple places too. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't think home has to be like one specific, um, you know. Oh, place. there's that there's that great uh, Noah Gunderson line, which is um, uh, it's the first defeat that really cuts you to your bones, knocks you off your feet when you discover that home is not a person or a place, but a feeling you can't get back. Hmm. I like that. That's that is like, nice. You know, it's all these like sort of fleeting things that you find and yeah. then you lose and you find it again. Yeah. Oh, we're getting so so poetic. So sentimental so right sentimental. now, you guys. Stop. We're all, cry. I, we're all a little misty eyed. We all have like a little single tear. <laughs> we all have one <laughs> single tear just dripping onto the yeah. table. It's crazy. It's all from our, our left eye. Uh-huh. It's yeah, it's very our... Tumblr esque right now. And moving at the same rate. Yeah. yeah. It's very, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, did you put out a, a record on a noise floor? We did. I think you can like still find it somewhere <laughs> on the internet. Like, we tried to take most of it off the internet, but there's just some places we like can't get it down. So, if you really look, you can, you can find it. Um, yeah, I mean, I listened back recently, actually, because John, like, listened back recently. He's like, man, he, like, texted me. He's like, man, these songs are actually pretty good. <laughs> and uh, we've actually, like, toyed with the idea of maybe, like, re-releasing, like, one or two of the songs. Because it's, like, funny because listening back now, I can hear that I definitely wasn't as jaded. Not saying I'm completely jaded now, <laughs> but you're de- you definitely get a little... Uh, you know, worse for the wear if you go through this industry. Like, yeah. you can't you can't just come out completely, like, innocent and, you know, optimistic. I don't think optimists survive in this industry. <laughs> you have to become a little bit cynical to survive. Cautious optimists. Yeah, yeah. you're all cautious optimists. That's, that's the best way to put it. Um, so, yeah, listening back, I can, like, hear that, like, innocence and that optimism, and I can... I can hear that I like don't really know how to write a song, but mm. I'm like, I'm just like, you know, just writing like whatever I love. And it mm-hmm. just, it's, it's just very pure. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's just like, it's cute. Like, I yeah. just like it, you know, it just makes me feel, and maybe it's just me that like is nostalgic about them because it like brings me back to a time and a place where, you know, I didn't know what I know about the music industry, but. I have to think too much about it. Yeah. I have to think, yeah, you're not, you could just tell I'm like not really like too concerned about like where these songs were going. I was just kind of like writing to write, which I mean, honestly, I've now that I've kind of come full circle, I'm, I'm rediscovering that yeah. that's like the best way to write. <laughs> yeah, it's just think- like write something you love and just put it out there and see what happens. Because if you try to do it any other way, it's so transparent. Really what were you writing at the time? Like, what was the, the subject matter? So one um, that the one that I'm really considering re-releasing is called Slow Town Girl. And it's like about reflecting on, I think at the time I was actually writing about a friend. Like I was writing about this girl who I used to be really close friends with. And then I 
went and visited her in LA because she's living in LA and then and she became like really pretentious and very much like materialistic mm-hmm. and kind of caught up in the whole LA culture of you know the, you know celebrity culture and that kind of stuff and Shells na- of name dropping yeah all that stuff and uh you know the chorus is like slow town girl where you gone with huh. your high heels high and your makeup on <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's just like very you know kind of cutesy but uh but at the same time, I was like, oh, that like kind of still rings true to me. But now that I listen back to it, it's like I'm almost kind of singing about myself. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like I want that genuineness back, I guess. It's weird, like uh, how Los Angeles, you know, you sort of become part of the culture because. Yeah, you it, can't help it. It's more enjoyable to a degree. Like there's there is a vibe out here, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of a, a pacing and I suddenly like kombucha and there's all you know i i, I tie my also hair up vegan now and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah you're vegan you know yeah, uh, usually we say what like food we we had um but yeah you're having a vegan pod see yeah. you um and a, and a blue moon um yeah but uh but yeah it's it, it's interesting because when i first moved here i'm like i'm gonna be this new yorker who like does not get changed by and then you know next thing i know it's it's the subtle things it's like you know, how you how you interact with traffic and how mm-hmm. you, you know, go to your coffee shops. How you and, deal with rain, how you feel about <laughs> temperature. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that oh, it's true. 50 degrees and I'm cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what sort of prompted the transition from Noise Floor to Transviolet? Well, once Judah started riding with us, the sound changed a lot and it didn't really seem appropriate to call it the same thing because it was just like a different band. Um, so it was like new beginnings, a new name seemed appropriate. Plus, did like, you go it, through a couple names like before? Yes, we did. We went through a couple like horrible names. I'm trying to. So I think at one point we were like considering calling the band Molly, which I'm like so glad we didn't. And then <laughs> trying at one to point, find it would be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And then at one point we were Kilo Virgo, which I can't even explain to you like why that was ever a thing. Kilo Virgo. Cool. Kilo Virgo. Yeah, Kilo Virgo is what the name was, and Virgo is like these like wisps of precipitation that like die before they ever not die but they evaporate before they ever hit the ground so I kind of like liked that idea of like these yeah I know I was like oh that's so beautiful but like anybody that ever heard the name Kilo Virga was like I don't know number one I don't, don't know what you just said I've never heard those <laughs> words together it sounds like a foreign language and then we also learned that Verga in Spanish means a uh, cock like a penis <laughs> oh, okay. so it's like a thousand cocks is like basically what the band name was and we, we didn't know so we're like we should probably change not this name Name. Not the best name. So how'd you, um, how'd you set on Transviolet? I think we were like all just like sitting around a table literally just like trying to come up with, with names. And I think Judah had like a bunch of like poetry books like open and encyclopedias. We had like all this. We were just like, we just need to find a name. Like now this is ridiculous. We just don't have a name. And there was this uh, Charles Bukowski poem called When the Violets Roar at the Sun that really mm. like spoke to me. Mm. And the poem goes... They've got us in a cage, ruined of grace and senses, and the heart roars like a lion at what they've done to us. It's funny that it says lion, and I just realized (laughs) as I was saying it. That's awesome. Um, But yeah, it was like this feeling of, you know, kind of feeling like the world wasn't allowing us to be who we were, and we we were fighting fighting back. You know, I don't know. I like that idea. And... uh, and yeah, so that's where the, like the word violet came from. And then we liked the idea of transcendence. So mm-hmm. we kind of just stuck those two words together yeah, and created cool. a new word. Yeah. yeah. So how did you, uh, how did you come out of the gate? What was the, the, the first act as a band and, and, and how'd y'all start? We released Girls Your Age in 2015. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things to where we had 
we had, I think we had like five songs we were like really excited about. And Girls Your Age is the one that the band was all like really stoked about. Like four of us were like, this is the best thing ever. And uh, nobody else really felt that way. Like our manager was kind of like, it's okay. And like, you know, our label was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's whatever. It's fine. Like it's a good, it's like, I think everybody was kind of on the same page as like, they would say, I really like this song, but I don't see it succeeding commercially. Like they just mm. didn't see mm. it that way. Cause it was just, I mean, it, it's, it is a weird song. Like yeah. there's like no drums until the second verse. Like the first verse is literally just like my vocal with a vocoder and like little vocal chops and just like, <laughs> yeah, and, it is very you know, sparse. it's, it's yeah. very sparse. It's very like minimalist. Um, so we released that song kind of just like as a vibey thing. And uh, we did that by, um, we made these like cassette tapes and like sent them to like just random kids <laughs> and but in a package that was unmarked so people would get this package and it literally just like has it our address and just this cassette that says just press play so we had people like freaking out we it's had like it's not anthrax guys yeah, yeah like people were like is this saw like what is this um so <laughs> we had saw? yeah we had moms like messaging us on facebook after they figured out as a trans violet song like, i'm very worried somebody sent this to my daughter and like <laughs> she's freaking out and we just like did it answer any questions so yeah that was and then blogs ended up kind of like picking up the story because they thought it was interesting huh. we sent it to like 2,000 kids it was like a lot of people um of a mailing list that was obtained secretly <laughs> uh and then shortly after we released the song I forget which happened first but uh, oh yeah, no, the Harry Styles thing happened first. So Harry Styles tweeted the lyrics. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, nipping at my heels, but I'm young, so I outrun them or something like that. Huh. And uh, and we were like, what the hell? Like I remember, like not even, <laughs> like I think I I like we released a song and like I didn't really have a lot of um, expectations for like the release. I was just kind of like, oh, like you know, I'll be happy if like a thousand people hear it. That'd be cool, you know? Yeah. Like, that's all I was, like, really... Like, I was afraid, like, no one would hear it. And, like, that was a fear. I remember, like, the night before we released it, like, I was scared of that. And um, then once I kind of saw, like, okay, like, a thousand people have heard it, I was like, okay, I can, like, be, I can be happy now. And I think I was actually... I was rock climbing, um, like, in this indoor thing with, like, a friend of mine. And uh, just left my phone in the car. My phone was, like, dead. And I came back and plugged in my phone, and it was just, like, blown up. Like, I just had oh, wow. hundreds of messages, like, from management and the band's like, where are you? What the heck? Did you see what's happening? And I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> and uh, then saw that, you know, this person named Harry Styles had <laughs> tweeted uh, the lyric. And uh, so, yeah, that was completely insane. Um, and I didn't really know how Twitter worked before mm. that. I was always one of those people that like, that was like, I don't even understand what Twitter is. Like, why do we have Twitter? Like, I don't, I don't know what this thing does. And then I was like, oh, now I see how Twitter works. <laughs> like, it just like all of the Harry Styles fans were just like flooding our page <laughs> and just blowing our shit up. Um, so that was crazy. And then I want to say it was like a couple days after Katy Perry tweeted the song. And was just, I think she just said something like, love these lyrics, like song of the day. And then just posted the link to Spotify. And so that like blew up the song even more, ended up going number one on Hype M like immediately mm -hmm. when she tweeted it because yeah. she's fucking Katy Perry. Right. Um, I think like after the Katy Perry thing, our publicist was actually like angry at me. Like she was like, <laughs> she was like angry. She like pulled us all in. She's like, why didn't you guys tell me Katy Perry was going to tweet this song? Or like, how would we, like nobody like planned this. Like, and uh, you know, it was one of those things where like nobody really expected the song to do that. So when it started moving like that, there was like no game plan like for what to do next. 
next yeah. and our label didn't know what to do either so we had like we built all this momentum but it just like <laughs> didn't go anywhere because we didn't know what to do next well what's so interesting about <laughs> the song is that like um it, it came out like right around the time that like jack garrett was starting to come out and like all these like artists that were not necessarily like that, that were becoming pop music by the by the sense that they were popular but like Pop was different. changing. Yeah, yeah pop that was, was changing. That was like <laughs> right around peak hype machine, like yeah. starting to push yeah. that um, mechanism into and pop. And I feel like that was kind of like when the end of like the Dr. Luke era was like kind of finally yeah. like happening. Because before then it was like pretty much like very dominated by like, you know, you had to be 128 BPM. Like mm-hmm. your song was in, you know, one of three keys. Yeah, it, was, it, was it was like, this was what. And, and yeah, and sparkly and, shiny. and polished. And it was verse, pre-chorus, Max Martin yeah, wrote all the like, melodies. Exactly. Like it was that kind of pop. This is what pop is. Yeah. And you're going to do all this math. And like girls yeah. your age breaks like every rule in the book as far as like <laughs> that, that vocal melody in the chorus like makes zero sense. Like as far as like an actual like, you know, structure but of it, a melody. Yeah. But it's good and honest. And yeah. that's what that, but, and for. It was yeah. great for streaming. Yeah. Totally. And I think people reacted to it because it was so different. Um, but yeah, it was one of those melodies that just like came out of me. It wasn't like constructed. Mm-hmm. We weren't like messing with notes. You know, I was I was writing it with a, a friend named Alex and we were just like in his apartment and it was, it was at the end. Like I was actually visiting him in Toronto and we'd, we'd written a bunch of songs together and it was our last day together. Like I was literally going to the airport that day and I would, was in the shower that morning and was kind of like girls your age. Like, hmm, it's like, I like that. It's like an interesting title, but like all I had was like, girls your age, never mean what they say. And like, that's all I had. And I came to Alex, I was like, yeah, I like this. And he's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what do you, I'm like, I don't know. It's just like, I have this, like, it makes me feel like how I felt when I was 15 and didn't really know like how to navigate in this world where like I was this object of sexual desire, but I wasn't really allowed to have sexual desires of my own because I was a teenage girl. And like, I just kind of feel like that's what it feels like, you know? And so, uh, so we just started, you know, trying to write that song you know um yeah you, you, you picked one of the lyrics as like your favorite lyric of, of like, all time of yeah all time. What, say the lyric and why why so yeah it's the first verse like the first half of the first verse of girls your age it's um 17 running from innocence like it's a lion nipping at my heels but i'm young so i outrun him 17 running from innocence like it's a lion nipping at my heels but i'm young so i outrun him and I just really liked the uh, the visual of that, like innocence as a lion that's mm-hmm. literally like chasing you, but you're young, mm-hmm. so you, you're able to outrun innocence, <laughs> you know? And I guess it's like that feeling, that push-pull of like being a teenager and you're so much trying to not be a child, but you're still mm-hmm. very much a child. And, you know, you're, you're doing everything you can to act like an adult, mm-hmm. you know, and you just, you want that so bad. Um, and you're only able to really act like an adult because you're, I don't know, because you're, you're just on that cusp. So I really like that lyric for that. I like that. I like the imagery. Well, and, and the, the song, the song means a lot to, to us because that mm-hmm. was sonically when you guys first came into our lives. I, uh, I think we were 19 um, at the time when uh, the song came out and we were in our dorm and my girlfriend at the time just moved to Paris. We had just broken up. And the only way we were communicating was by sending songs that we thought the other would like back and forth. There was no talking. There was just a link and a link and a link and a link. <laughs> and I think Discover Weekly had just mm-hmm. been created mm-hmm. like the the week before 
I found a song on Discover Weekly by Vancouver Sleep Clinic, sent that over. Second week, I found Girls Your Age. And I remember being in the dorm, it was snowing outside, no, was in the room, and hearing the song and just like being really moved by it because it was describing uh, describing my ex. It was describing somebody who, um, like when she said something like, like, I love you, like I was like, do you mean it? Like, like yeah. are you being naive about it? Like, I don't know if I necessarily even know what it means enough to like say it or feel it, let alone like you who's younger. I was like very like analytical and mathematical about like the, the credentials you need to say you're in love with somebody. Yeah, like, totally. but, that, but that song, it was just like, I, I heard it and I immediately sent it to her because this is describing, this, this is describing somebody who I know very well. Hmm. It's also describing uh, something in a way I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think you've always done a really great job of, that, oh, of, of like taking something that, you know, not a lot of people are, you, you know, articulate enough to talk about or even comfortable enough to talk about and, uh, and, and dive into it, you know? And so I, I was, you know, whenever you play that live, I always just like go back to Boston. I'm just mm-hmm. like, all oh, right, like mm. it's that, you know, it's like that moment. Cause of, I was also right in, right in the period of time where we were like developing Sleeping Lion. I mean, right. like, what do we want to sound like as a band? And we had a playlist of stuff. It's like, this is, I think what like like what we're going is, for yeah. and girls rage was like right in the middle of that we're like oh yeah this is like super interesting it's minimal it's dark it's vocal driven like it's got like all it's like we were really struck by that song it was like oh, the exciting yeah. things weren't necessarily the structure or like the math but the compelling production and the, and the lyricism it, yeah. And the feeling. Yeah. yeah so yeah you know that it, it's it's funny because you know now like so much has obviously happened since then but that was like when you guys first entered our sort of lives in a sense you know in the, in the way that music you know, without even realizing it, you know, we didn't get a cassette tape. I'm, I'm upset we didn't get, <laughs> <laughs> didn't get a cassette tape, but so, so that happened. Like all that yeah, happened. Did that you, happens. Did you guys start touring after that? Did you guys start playing after yeah, that? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly the order. So we released the first EP that had Girls Your Age, Bloodstream, Night Vision, and New Bohemia on it. And yeah, shortly after that, we went on our first tour together. We toured with Mickey Echo, who mm. had that really big song with Rihanna called stay Mm -hmm. and he's just like he's an insane songwriter and also just like an insane performer like he's literally like perfect every night he's just one of those annoying (laughs) vocalists where Mm -hmm. you're just like you just sound yeah like your voice (laughs) always sounds perfect and I would see him you know just like and he's one of those people where like I literally don't understand like how he can do what he do he does because he doesn't take it easy on tour either. Like he would, he's the kind of person at the end of every night, he's just drinking, you know, <laughs> drinking and having the best time. And I'm just like, I um, you emergency can't do that. In one hand yeah, and I, I'm just like yeah. ginger tea. Like I'm such <laughs> yeah. a grandma on tour. Like I'm not that person. And it was actually crazy. Like the night, so I was so nervous about going on this tour because it was our very first tour. And like, you know, we had all this like, you know, success that was like so quick it just like fell on us like a ton of bricks like we weren't expecting that to happen you know we like have all these accolades and have all this pressure so it's like we had all this hype around us we were like we don't know what the fuck we're doing like I've never been on tour like I don't know how to perform (laughs) so we were just like okay and then a few days before tour I started getting like really sick like I uh, had like straight up pneumonia like and like the night before the tour I was literally like crying to my boyfriend like oh my god like my I didn't even have a speaking voice like I'm not gonna be able to 
perform. So the first two weeks of that tour, I was just like trying to not die and just not speaking the whole time in the van and just drinking tea. And then I'd sing for 30 minutes and then, you know, rinse and repeat for the whole first two weeks of tour. <laughs> I think the, the scariest part about like doing performance, especially when it's like, oh, it's there, it's in the distance and it's in closer is just like making sure everything is working. Yeah. South by was like this time last year. I talked myself horse at South by to the point where mm-hmm. and we, we had a show in Boston the, the following week and I remember like landing in Boston and just downing just tea and honey like yeah like tea in one hand a jar of honey in the other just like <laughs> making trying to make sure that, Try, that you can sing because yeah. nobody's gonna see your show and if you give a shitty vocal performance they're gonna be like oh well maybe she was sick they're just gonna be like oh she's a shitty singer yeah exactly. <laughs> which like so when people give singers flack that are like are obviously good singers they're like oh they sucked I'm like well you they, everybody has an off day yeah it's a biological <laughs> instrument like if especially these huge artists that are on tour for like like two years or something. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, obviously they're going to have some <laughs> shitty performances. They're still human beings. And, they're traveling every day. And, and there's no rhyme you, or reason to it yeah. either. Like, as long as your voice just like goes because you, you know, breathe in something that you didn't yeah, know. Yeah, totally. Whatever. You could have eaten something wrong that day and now your voice sounds like and shit. That's why even people like Sam Smith and Adele like get vocal notes because like the amount of singing that's expected from them. Like yeah, they give it not, all every show, every night. Every it's night not, is it's like, not normal. They're like Olympic athletes. Like yeah. it's, it's so much stress. It's so true. It's so true. When you think about like, you know, you hear these crazy things from like Broadway actors. You know, they do like the suction cup things and leeches and hear all these like crazy Broadway remedies for how actors are able to put on Because it's an shows insane amount week. of like bodily stress to do a Broadway. And, totally. and emotional. I think Ben Platt from um, yeah. Dear Evan Hansen had to like, Cry, sob Every eight times, yeah, eight, eight that's, times that's a week. That's got to weigh yeah. on a person. <laughs> well, I'll definitely, that'll definitely do it. So, so you were touring with them, and then was the next record you put out Kaleidoscope? Uh, yes, the next record we put out was Kaleidoscopes. Yeah, I just continued to tour. We went on tour with Twenty One Pilots. We toured the UK with them. That was a completely insane experience. Like their, their fans are like no other mm. fans in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Like they are just like die hard, and they're awesome and they're so supportive like they're the kind of fans that will if they've seen you open for 21 pilots they're gonna buy a ticket every time you're in town they're gonna buy your merch they're gonna just be like super fans they're awesome and then we ended up going on tour with a band called laney that was super awesome and fun too they're super talented and same thing like their fans are just amazing and then we did our first uh headlining tour last year Oh wow! Yeah, like all over was the that US. the one with Magic Bronson? Yeah, yeah, cool. we brought Magic Bronson along with us. They're like the homies, so it was like a super fun tour. Like just <laughs> yeah, every night just hang, the good hangs and good vibes. So it was it was really fun. And it was so cool because I mean before then I think you know or at least before we started that tour I was like questioning I was like do we actually have fans or is it just like <laughs> this elaborate like illusion we've created like this hoax you know because you've been opening for everybody it's like you don't know who is really your fan so it was, it was cool to be able to like just show up to like a place like Chicago where we'd never headlined and you know have this room packed full of people that were just there to see us and singing all of our lyrics and it's like damn we've actually like built something this is That's cool awesome. yeah now for Kaleidoscope what were like the themes that you're like playing with like I mean obviously like Hamptons is on there like Hamptons is awesome because it's Thanks. like very specific mm-hmm. like like almost uh, vignettes about yeah. these like people that we've all run into. Yeah, you know? I think when I was writing that song, I was thinking of it as like a social food chain and kind of going up <laughs> this food chain mm. of of people, um, you know, through these interactions. 
And Hamptons came around in a really weird way. Like uh, we were kind of at the end of our writing cycle and just kind of like fed up. I I mean, I had like nothing else to say. I was kind of like, I don't think I can write anymore. But we had this, you know, big session with this producer named Sam Hollander and he's worked on, you know, some amazing records. Like he's worked on stuff with Katy Perry and he's worked on like a bunch of like, you know, uh, like check yes Juliet like this you know like so all these like you know super like emo yeah exactly so uh um I was just like oh man I really gotta like pull something out today and luckily Sam like he he was like oh I love I really love this title idea like the Hamptons (laughs) and like I was like okay yay I'm glad he like has a title (laughs) idea but at the same time I was like what am I gonna do like I've never been to the Hamptons I have no idea but I was like too kind of intimidated uh, by him to be like, no, I don't want to write about that. So I was like, okay, yeah, uh, I can make that work. And I literally for the first, I think like two hours of the session, I was just like staring at a blank piece of paper. I was just like, I don't know what the fuck to say about the Hamptons in like any genuine or honest way. And, uh, so I could kind of tell that people like they were working on the track, but I was starting to feel the pressure, like, fuck, like you have to write something like anything go like, so I was just kind of like joking around with the guys. I think I like pulled Judah aside. I was like, Judah, I don't know what the hell to like say. (laughs) And he's just like, yeah, I feel like jokingly how Judah is like, yeah, Hamptons never heard of it. I was like, that's it. Hmm. That's brilliant. So like that's how the song started was just this like, you know, adventure with these conversations. Because the second he said that, I was like, I know exactly who we're talking about right, here. Yeah. We're talking about those like materialistic people who LA is just packed full of. Mm. And those people are definitely in New York too, definitely in the Hamptons. Like, and I've definitely had one of those conversations <laughs> and just wanted to blow my fucking brains out. So I can, well, I can that, definitely write the, about that. Yeah. And I'm imagining my brains on his carpet. On his carpet in the Hamptons. In the Hamptons. And that's always the line that people get really excited about. They're like, I can't believe you said that in a pop song. I'm like, I can't believe I got away with it. Uh, and actually, we performed that song on um, on the Today Show. And uh, before we performed, you know, we had an email from management. They're like, yeah, they want you to... Um, they want you to like not say one of the lines. And I was like, the, I didn't even read the whole email. I was like, oh, it's definitely like the eight ball line. Like they're not going to want me to say the thing about the eight ball. Oh, yeah. Because it's like cocaine, you know? But it wasn't. It was like they didn't want me to say I'm imagining uh, my brains Man, on his carpet. carpet. And I was like, what? Why? And I was like so pissed. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to censor myself. You know, I'm like getting all right. fucking like, you know, <laughs> no, this is art and fuck censorship, blah. I'm definitely going to say it. And they're like, well, then you can't play the show. And so I was just like, what? I was like, Ugh. like I was so upset. And I was like, in my like way of protesting, like I was like, well, then I'm just gonna make it really fucking obvious. Cause they were like saying, well, maybe you can change the line or say, so I was like, okay, fine. I'm imagining my blood on his carpet. They're like, you still can't say that. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm imagining my head on his carpet. They're like, you can't say that. I was like, what the, f-? All right, all right, fine. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna like look at the camera and not say anything. And that was like my way of like protesting. Um, and then of Is course, that what you did? yeah, I literally just like, uh, when the line comes up, I just like cover my mouth and look oh, at the camera. Nice. Oh, wow. um, like I'm being like, you know, like somebody's putting their hand over my, my mouth. Put tape over your mouth real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like pissed. And I actually like wrote this whole like letter to NBC. And I was oh like, God. you guys need to like take a step back. Like this is censorship. I understand this is your brand and your show. And we appreciate you, you know, having us on. But like this is... I understand that you don't want to talk about suicide, but pretending like it doesn't exist is not the right answer. You know what I mean? It's like the, as somebody that actually struggles with depression and like, yes, I'm definitely saying this in like a joking way. Like I'm not actually thinking about blowing my brains out when I'm having a bad conversation with somebody, but like as somebody that's actually like considered suicide, it's like nice to just hear it talked about even in a light 
hearted yeah, kind of it, way. It takes the weight off of it. Yeah, you're like, oh, other less. people feel so, this you know, way too. And, and sometimes, I mean, I think one of the, the the scariest parts about being depressed is how normal it winds up feeling in your head. It's like, like you know, you're just going about your day. I'm like, oh, I could jump into traffic. Like, there's yeah. And and so even talking about it in uh, in a light way is almost like a counteract to how light these heavy emotions could sometimes feel. Totally. You know? And just like letting people know like, hey, you're not alone. Like yeah. I, you know, I've thought about it before too. Like you're not the only person. And, and I have to constantly like check myself. Like there, there like will literally be times where I'm just like, I don't want to do something. And my brain is like, well, you could buy a gun and like shoot yourself in the head. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa. And like, and, and even in my brain, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, mm-hmm. a, you know, you can't buy a gun. Like, like, what are you talking there's about? There's so many people, so many friends of mine, like, and and not just in music, everywhere. It's so many friends of mine. It's just like, yeah, sometimes you're just going, you're, you're in traffic and like, wow, like, I got to go home and do a bunch of work. Or I could just, you know, like jump into <laughs> the river. Run into this wall. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, totally. Just, I mean, the, the thing is, is that when it when it becomes, they say like a oh, suicide option. When, when it becomes an option in your head, it's it's like as logical or illogical as anything else. Well, and I think, totally. I think, and I think it's a thought that crosses everyone's mind in the modern world. So pretending like it's this dark thing that we shouldn't address we shouldn't is just really about. immature. I agree, and yeah, I think hum- humor is a way of um, of combating almost almost anything. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love I love hearing you know comedians like joke about that kind of stuff because it does make it feel like okay yeah like it is it is just kind of this silly thing and and for me a big realization that helped me um like manage my depression was realizing that I'm not the thinker of my thoughts which Mm -hmm. sounds like super crazy but it's actually like you you are just like the observer of your thoughts and you can choose which ones you identify with like your thoughts are not you Mm -hmm. your thoughts are just thoughts your thoughts are not facts you know, like your thoughts are just it's things all chemistry that, anyway. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're just going to have these random things that pop into your brain and you can just kind of like acknowledge them and then you can choose whether you want to accept or dismiss them. You don't have to like cling on them and let them become this part of your identity. You know, they're not. Yeah. And I think bad stuff happens when you ignore them. Oh, totally. When, when they, they build up. It's, it's like, it's like plaque. It's like, yeah. you know, if you don't brush your teeth, you know, it's like if you, if you try to suppress or, or if you even say like, I am wrong for thinking these thoughts, you spiral into it. Like, yeah. I think the worst thing is when you're, when you think, you know, you have even just like a passive, like tangential suicidal thought. And then you're like, Oh, like I'm so spoiled because all these good things are happening, mm-hmm. and I'm still and I'm depressed. having this thought, yeah. You know, and you judge yourself and you beat yourself and up so about then, it, and it's just like this vicious more, cycle. Yeah. Totally, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, and, and what I like, I, what I really like about uh, about your songs, especially um, uh, on Kaleidoscope, like you have also a song like Pretty Head. Like you do mm-hmm. a really great job of of taking a sort of like. I don't even think sar- sarcasm is the right word. It is word. a little sarcastic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little sarcastic. It's, it's a little like biting, cheeky. like cheeky. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like it's making it's like making fun of how other people are stereotyping you. Yeah. It's like I'm so happy because I don't know pretty girls happy. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, that's definitely true. You know, yeah. like that's that's the tone of that whole song. That's hard to pull off. I yeah. Mean, like, it, it having like really sarcasm that is it doesn't like short of having like a Looney Tunes thing in the background, like having a kind of like biting sarcasm that could be taken literally yeah um is is it's really awesome and and it, i think it's it's a, a cool way that that you frame a lot of these arguments in mm-hmm. your music mm-hmm. oh thank um, you of course yeah um, i think kaleidoscopes i was just um you know i didn't do it intentionally but at the time we were going through a lot as a band and i was going through a lot personally you know um 
on a personal level and an, on an artistic level, like uh, I was having a lot of, my, my family was going through some some really bad hardships. Like my dad was really sick and, you know, I, I was, so a lot of the album ended up being about resilience, you know, and, and, and how to kind of survive in this world that um, it just kind of feels like isn't really meant uh for people like me to survive in, like these people that are that are, have these soft exteriors or are very like thoughtful or pensive, it's like this. The society isn't really set up for people like us to like thrive or like be okay. You know, if you're like always thinking about how you feel, um, and it, it's it's hard. Well, I, <laughs> it's I, I, hard to to think about how you feel, and uh, it's only like when I started actually like owning that and like diving into that even deeper and just going a hundred percent all in that I was like allowed to be okay like with myself you know like I think like meditation has been like such a big it sounds so LA has been such <laughs> like a but whatever it, it really has um you know it's like I think we were kind of talking touching a little bit on earlier but like ignoring the ways that you feel like the good and the bad it doesn't make it go away um it'll just be like this white noise that you're not even aware of but it's like preventing you from having clarity and it's preventing you from being you know, really happy. And the second I kind of sat down with my own thoughts, it was like pretty shocking to hear like what kind of loop was on mm -hmm. in the background, mm -hmm. you know, especially as like a woman, like I would, you know, I, I identify as a feminist and somebody that's empowered. Um, but when I sat down with my own thoughts, it was, you know, it was very counter to what all of that is, you know, it was like, I, I sat down and, you know, in my brain was just like, you're, you're fat, your skin looks like shit. Like you're, you're oh, wow. ugly. You're like all these terrible things. And I was like, I would never say that to another person, mm -hmm. but I was mm -hmm. sitting there saying that to myself over and over and over again, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Like all these things. And it was only like looking at those things and, and realizing like, I wasn't the thinker of these thoughts that these thoughts were happening. And I, I could just look at them and be like, huh, that's interesting. Like, where's that coming mm -hmm. from? Or like, yeah. why? You know, like, uh, okay, like, let, I'll just let that thought pass and kind of see what comes up next. And it was only when I started doing that that I really felt like I could just let those things go. And I didn't have to let them control me anymore. We, uh, when we made our, our, our first record, it was called Patient Creature Off of the Line. Like, my demon is a patient creature. He bides his time while he feeds him while I feed him and tells me I'm all right. And the, I, like, I think what, what likewise said, like, freed me from, like, really getting too down was imagining it as like a separate thing like this little mm -hmm. i imagine it i think i described it once to noah as as like um this this little creature that like hangs in the back of my skull with like um like a projector and he just throws slides up you know yeah. uh but but it, also that that thing isn't isn't me and isn't even mine it's like my it's like my mom and my grandfather yes. like, it's like the genetics totally that mm -hmm. caused that and then it's also like you know, occasionally it takes the form of an X or it takes the form of whatever because it, it takes the form of the thing that can can hurt me the most. Totally. And so um, I think that like recognizing that is like the separate thing and trying to at least, you know, if, if I can't at that time speak to it, then at least put a little distance between 100%. it. hundred yeah. percent. I think um, like understanding that, you know, for, or at least for me, that like a lot of my shame like wasn't my own. It was mm -hmm. just like this thing that was passed down to me, like from generations, you know, mm -hmm. from my mother, from my grandmother, not purposely. They didn't do it maliciously. Like my mom's a, you know, very bold and beautiful woman, but, you know, she's a human. She has insecurities of her own. And, you know, so when she's sitting there looking in the mirror saying, oh, like I need to lose some weight and pinching yeah. her stomach, like, you know, me as a five-year-old girl is looking at that and thinking like, oh, like, okay, like that's how you're, that's how women behave. That's like, mm -hmm. that's what it looks and like to be a woman. And thousands of years of culture. Exactly. Which is why it's so and like hard telling us to unpack it and unravel it. Totally. A hundred percent. And I think um, also just 
being okay with being sad sometimes is like what made me be able to be ultimately happy. Like whenever I'm sad now, I'm not like like suffering in sadness. I'm just, I allow myself to be sad. Like I'm just like, yep, today I'm sad. Well, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be, I don't have to label this as like I'm sad and that's bad mm-hmm. and I can't be sad and I need to be happy. And then like, then you're just fighting that the whole time. Whereas like now when I'm sad, I'm like, yeah, like that's, I'm sad right now. This is a thing. This is happening. That's okay. Well, I, in a lot of ways, like, you know, when my dad visited once, he was trying to kind of get me to like, because we were, we were talking about like divorce. We were talking about some of like the harder stuff that we we had gone through. And he was trying to get me to like say everything was okay. And like, I finally kind of like, I didn't yell, but I, I very pointedly said, being sad about this and not being okay about this is one of the most important things to me. Because I think that the thick skinned obviously have an advantage because they don't get rocked so much by stuff. Mm-hmm. But have being a bit soft and uh, opens up a level of empathy. Totally. Recognizing, mm-hmm. okay, like I have these vulnerable spots, so I need people who will be there. I need people who can like cover my blind spots. I need people who, like I know if everything hits the fan, can can, can take care of me, uh, you know, in one, one way or another. And I think that being sad and being vulnerable and being honest about that sadness, especially as a songwriter, you know, has become very important. It has is become, important. To a degree, an asset. Like, it's oh become, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think it's imperative to protect those perspectives. Like as, you know, as somebody that deals with depression or mental illness, like you, you being honest about that and you being authentic about that and you holding that space and, and owning that perspective and telling that story is important because not just because you're being honest for yourself, but because you're telling a story that only you can tell Mm -hmm. and that not everybody that needs that story to be told can tell. Like there's a lot of people out there that don't have your same skill set. They're not musical or they they can't articulate these feelings, but they need those feelings to be articulated. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a service by honestly articulating those feelings for a population that isn't able to do that. And so now when I'm like uh in a writing session, I'm very protective of of my perspective. Um you know, and I, I used to feel kind of like I used to question, like, am I being arrogant or am I, you know, is this is this an ego thing? And the more I searched myself, I was like, no, this, this it's not that. It's because I'm like, I'm holding this space for the people that can't mm-hmm. say these things, that can't articulate these things. And it's important for me to tell these stories to the best of my ability in the most authentic and honest way possible because I'm telling these stories that can't be told by anybody else. Well, and, and more than just a, a bravery to the honesty, there is also, I think, a responsibility to it. Totally. Like we have this ability to express ourselves and to be vulnerable and and we are capable of making these things that express that thing, then we can connect with other people who, like you said, can't necessarily, you know, if one person listens to this podcast and realizes that they're not alone, if one person hears your song or our songs or whatever and realizes that they're not alone in what they're feeling and and that saves them, I mean, if that really helps them, just to feel they're not alone. Just to feel that they're yeah. not alone. I mean, in a lot of ways, we have a responsibility to being honest because oh, yeah. we we could save, if not as dramatically as saving a life, though that is very possible and true, we can just be with somebody in a moment, whether or not we know it. 
And I, I, I mean, I, I remember yeah. like being, you know, a teenager, um, specifically when I would like <laughs> move to the Cayman Islands and I felt so alone. You know, I would just been like, all of my friends were gone. I was in this place I, that was foreign to me in this culture that was foreign to me. And that's, I, I think when I really decided to become a songwriter, because those songs that I listened to at that time, like did save me when I was listening to Radiohead or I was listening to Bright Eyes or mm -hmm. Modest Mouse and like, you know, um, and Broken Social Scene. And like, those songs are so fucking weird. Like they don't, they don't follow any like pop structure. They, they were just kind of these like very emotive songs, but they spoke to me in such a powerful way that um, they did save me, you know? And and if I can do that now for somebody else, like, you know, why, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do that for somebody else? And especially now that like, I'm strong enough to be vulnerable. Like mm -hmm. I know that I'll survive. Like by I like I could put out something that's completely vulnerable and honest and somebody could be like that's fucking garbage and it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't break me. I'd be like, yeah, fine, whatever. Say whatever you want right. about it. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Um whereas like not everybody is strong enough to do that yet. You know, when I was 15, I wasn't strong enough to do that yet. I, I wouldn't have been able to like take that kind of criticism. Um, but you had people like, you know, Tom York stepping out and like being able to be like weird and vulnerable and be his wonderful self and and, mm -hmm. and step out on that ledge. It, it held a space for me um, to be able to experience that vulnerability in a safe way because they were they were his words right. but they spoke to me but they, it wasn't so vulnerable they weren't my words it was there was no risk in me like listening to this music versus if I were to like write something there was a risk there right mm. you know well and that's the thing you you were with us in Boston yeah I mean whether or not you knew it yeah. like, you were like at a point when I was pretty low you were you were there you were a way of communicating with somebody in Paris like you you were like the thing that you made was this thing that meant something outside of yourself, like more than, yeah. you know, anybody. And I, I think that it's, it's an ex, like an exciting, on the one hand, exciting, because obviously there are the rooms and there's the perks that come from making a song that, that does well. But also we were talking about this the other day, but you know, when we were first starting, we were talking about like, what are our goals here? I'm like, okay, if one person feels us alone, then everything else past that point. That's how I feel. You know? I mean, yeah. like to me, like the commercial success is just like a side effect. You know, it's like if, if, if everybody connects with it, like, yes, it will become commercially successful, but commercial success isn't the end goal. Like, I want to connect with people. And the only way for me to really do that is to be honest and authentic. Well, and there's so much there's so much music being made now because the, the tools are getting easier and easier and the platforms that the music is getting hosted on are encouraging it more and more. So it's like if we are making the choice to, to write something and to make something and to put it out in the world, like why put out something that yeah. isn't honest? There's already enough noise out there. Like what 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 do we gain from like trying to be commercially successful? And, and, and it's how you stand honest? out. It's you're right. Like we, you know, everybody has a story that's unique to, to their like themselves. Like what makes you unique as an artist is literally everything that happened in your life. Yeah. yeah. You know? Your and experiences. How you like no process it. Exactly. Yeah. Like nobody else can copy that. Nobody else has that exact combination of all the experiences you've had, all the places you've lived, all the relationships that you you've had all, you know, the hardships you've been through, all the music you've listened to mm -hmm. and that's influenced you. Like nobody else has that particular special sauce. Well, and, you know? and Taylor Swift was saying on like the, uh, I think the Esquire interview or something that like some of the biggest songs that have come out in the last five years have all had very specific details to it. Like mm -hmm. the Blink-182 song yeah. in, um, in, Closer. in Closer. It makes or, it feel real. It makes it feel mm -hmm. lived because, in. Because lived it is in. real, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or real, you know, somebody. Real somebody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's the songwriters or... or, or even, artists. even just the way Justin Vernon puts a song together. Oh you God. have these details yeah. that like 
on paper make no sense because you're just like, okay, that's that person's brain and them processing their emotions. But they're they're put together so artfully that you understand the specificity of it and you apply it to yourself, even if you have no like direct no connection context. to what he's talking yeah. about. And that's just like that's just the the skill. You can of imagine a good the artist. apartment. You can imagine you yeah. know somebody living this thing. And the moment you imagine somebody else, it's like watching a movie. The moment yeah. you like, imagine somebody else's apartment, you can imagine your own. Like if you're mm-hmm. watching, I mean, the whole idea of like watching movies is that you're watching something that has literally never happened to you, but yeah. resonates with you because it's familiar enough yeah. to your human experience. It evokes an emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, it's interesting because we didn't we didn't actually meet until Los Angeles about a year and a couple months ago. But I actually had seen you play the Peppermint Club the first time. Uh, Granted invited me, and I, because I saw you were playing, and I said, can I go see Transviolet? Because I <laughs> used to listen to a lot in Boston. So I went, and uh, I don't think we met that night, because I think I was too nervous. Um, <laughs> you guys, because you guys played, I think you ended with Girls Your Age, and I'm like, oh, true. And then, like, I was like, okay, I gotta, I, I gotta head out. Um, but the second time, you play peppermint. We opened, and so we were all hanging in the green room, and and I, I said, "Oh, hey, I'm Nate. Nice to meet y'all." And I, I remember we talked about it was coming coming up to the holidays. That was like I think November. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was like right before Thanksgiving, and so I, I was like, "Hey, I'd love to write sometime." And you were so nice. You were like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to." Like, and I thought you were being nice. Like I thought. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and I was also thinking, even if she's not just being nice, um. The holidays are gonna happen, and by it's like by two months from now, like I'm nobody will remember who I was or whatever. <laughs> but uh, we we were texting in January, and uh, we we hung out for the first time at our spot, like in LAX. At at that point, had you already been working on Valley? Yes, I mean I think uh, a lot of this, most of the songs, I think at that point were like a year, two years old, and even like Close, which is on Valley, was actually written in 2013. Oh yeah, I, I think uh, John, John just made but, a post yeah. about it. Yeah. So um, yeah, some of the songs were older, some of them were newer, it was kind of this mishmash of like songs that, like some of them were just songs that like when we were on Epic Records, like the label just like didn't get it, and we were like, we know these are good songs, like we're gonna get these songs out, like Undo was one of those songs. And so yeah, like when we wrote that song together, you know, it was like up against all these other songs we were already like so into, and like there was just like no doubt in my mind. I was like, long shot, like has to be on the record. Well, I remember that day we were, we wound up I think hanging out for like twelve hours. Yeah, we were like just hanging out all day, and like I think we the actual like songwriting part of it like didn't take that long. Like we were <laughs> writing like like the whole song was like two hours, but like we were just like taking huge breaks and just like getting pizza and like just talking drinking beers endlessly. And, like, yeah. yeah, like we just sh- couldn't shut up between the <laughs> two of us because we were both just like chatterboxes. Well, and, and I remember like before you came, I like was trying to come up with concepts. I was trying to write down like, and and then uh, you came in, and the, one of the first things you said was that you had done like a session at one point where the person had come in with all these contact, uh, all these concepts, and you were like, "I don't want to be like locked into a concept. I want to write something new." And I remember in my head thinking, like, "Fuck!" I was like, "Don't bring up any of the concepts." <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and, I, and I'm glad, like, I'm glad that that, like, because I obviously I was like, I was a, a bit nervous, but by like the first hour, I think we had crepes, like yeah. midday, you know. Um, by like the end of the first hour, we were just just chilling, just chilling, and uh, I remember that. I mean, the story of Long Shot 
felt very personal, I think, to both of us. I mean, yeah, I think it ended up kind of being like a combination really of experiences, like our collective experiences of being artists and having to sacrifice relationships like in the the name of art, you know, for art's sake. Um, And kind of like that struggle of always like you you want to have that connection. You want to have that, you know, that human connection of a relationship, but Mm -hmm. you're chasing this dream that requires so much of your energy and so much of your attention that it's like you you have to you know sacrifice that relationship and and that's what the song ended up being about i remember you you were i think the some of like the airplane imagery was inspired by um you said like when you were early in your relationship yeah you uh like had to go to like a writing camp well no i uh, uh so when chris and i first met uh i was like already like gung-ho on like leaving Cayman like we met oh, the Cayman was, Islands yeah. so uh I like had already had my plane ticket like I was I was like no like I'm going like I had a plane ticket to Denver I was gonna like stay with my friend for like a couple months and then until I kind of sorted out a job in LA and then make my way over to you know either San Diego or, or LA and like mm-hmm. kind of make it happen and like this was like right after I had like been you know emailing Mike right. and John and stuff so we had you know we'd, we had like a couple songs but not really anything. Actually, I don't think we had even had a song yet. We were just kind of like, this was like a loose idea, but I like knew I wanted to move. So yeah, when Chris came into the picture, it was very much like this hesitation. Like, okay, I really like you. And like, this is like the first relationship I've had where I'm like, whoa, this is like something really real and that's terrifying. But also like, I like have to pursue this. Like mm-hmm. I, this is like mm-hmm. what like, this is my passion. This is, like, what I want to do with my life. Like, I, I have to leave now or I'm never going to leave. So, yeah, like, I remember him, like, just kind of, like, we we went to Montreal together uh, for Christmas because, like, that's where his family was. We, like, spent the holidays together. And then we came back to the airport and he was going back to Cayman and I was going to uh, Colorado, to Denver. And, like, I remember just, like, you know, saying goodbye to him. And he, like, if we tell this story so differently, because I guess I, I hadn't really, like, communicated to him that I wasn't coming back. <laughs> so when he tells the story, he's like, I thought you were just, like, going to be gone for, like, a couple months and then come back and we'd figure this out. But in my mind, I was, like, I was going. Like, mm-hmm. I was going to just kind of be in, in Denver and, like, just, I, I, I kind of figured, like, well, if this guy is serious, like, he'll make it work and, like, we'll be together. But I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to make the mistake again of just like following a guy around and like letting that be my whole existence is just like chasing love. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I think, because um, I mean, we had gone back and forth about this while we were writing it, but I think what was interesting about saying like you said, like the line you said I was a long shot is that for us, our long shot is this like big career and this big thing. But for a lot of other people, like falling in love with somebody who has these ambitions is also such a long shot. Huge long shot, yeah. Yeah, Um, It's like a double entendre. And so it's like having these two things like playing up against each other and it's, uh, you know, cruel. I have to... Although it's funny, I don't know if you looked on uh, Lyric Genius about the song. I, I very recently looked... Um, I think a, f- a fan changed the l- lyric to "It's cool I gotta choose between oh. you." I think at one cool. point it was it, "It's who I gotta choose." Oh, it's who you. I gotta choose between you. Yeah. yeah oh. And I changed I changed it from the Sleeping Line account to <laughs> "Cruel." Good. And then they changed it. Back. They changed it back. <laughs> we'll have to fix That's that. That's so funny. It's uh, cruel, everybody. It's cruel. Let's set the yeah. record straight. Yeah. It's but, cruel. Um, I've got to choose between you. Well, for a long time. I, I think what's like, and what was really interesting was that when when we started writing it, I was I was coming from the point of like. I just done this song with uh, with my ex-girlfriend and like we had a lot of problems. Part of it was that I was working really hard 
um, and like not necessarily being there for her. And then part of it was that we had written this song together and like the, the details of that didn't necessarily go great for like either of us. Yeah. And so it felt like a lot of ways, like, you know, I chose like this song and like this career path over, over. I remember also driving, um, on the highway when you texted me your idea for the second verse. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> I remember pulling over into this cul-de-sac, um, and like texting back and forth. And like we were shooting like voice memos back and forth. I, I think I was like, Oh, that's right. Yeah, was, we were like the second verse. We like we had kind of like loosely written a second verse. And then we're kind of like we're gonna change up the lyrics. And we ended up like writing the lyrics via text message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. The the champagne in the green room. The champagne in the green room. It's been a hell of a ride. But is it still a toast if I'm drinking all alone? Here's to wishing you were with me tonight. Oh yeah, um, uh-huh. it was just like we were going back and forth, just like over text, and uh, and then I think we just did this the rest of it and recorded like the scratch vocal. Um, Those at the Buskin House, the old Buskin House, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like my, like yeah. the pool house, the pool yeah. house. Yeah, at that point I was yeah. another relationship thing. Like, and I was I remember like coming. Oh to yeah, you're you telling me about and, it. And like yeah. venting <laughs> and like you know getting kind of upset and paranoid about like this thing, and it's just like. Art imitates life, which imitates art, which imitates life. And yeah. What's funny, though, is one of my, like, most distinct memories of that session was we're trying to get the trill, try to figure out where the trill was oh, going to yeah, be yeah, in yeah, the yeah. bridge. The love we like, and I think I perform it different, like, every single time I now. notice that you perform it different I perform time. it different every time. It's just kind of, like, whatever, <laughs> like, I feel like in the moment. And I th- always think it's funny because we spent so much time, like, trying to figure out what the best, like, variation of that was. Like, it, it, was, it was, I think it was mostly because I was hungry and I was getting late. And I was just like, I think this would sound cool and this would sound cool. And we were just going back and forth about, like, uh, where this trail was, which wound up being, like, so inconsequential. Yeah. And, but I think we wound up spending the most time on, I think <laughs> on we recorded, that trail. I think we recorded the entire thing in one take and then, and then yeah. like Hours five takes on that, on that no it's so true <laughs> well and, and then what's funny is that like I I had left to go to Colorado to visit that girl and like after leaving I went to my grandparents house because in a bit of a mood and um Noah sent me the demo, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think I was supposed to show you guys uh, the demo. Well, yeah, it, it, it's like, funny. It's like Nate's just like, oh, I wrote, you know, I, I've been writing with with Sarah from Transviolet. Like, here's the song, and I like opened it up, and it was it was funny because I just I'm, I opened up the session. I'm like, I'm just gonna listen to it. It was like it was like about midnight. I was in my apartment in Boston. It had been a long day. I'm just like, I just want to listen to the song and see how it sounds. And it was, I just listened to it. I'm like, oh yeah, like I feel that. That's like that that hits. Like that's a really good song. And then I'm just like. Well, let me just find a synth sound, and then I just like <laughs> took the piano, and then before I know it, it's four in the morning, and I'm like screaming like. My neighbors are, are banging on the wall, telling me to shut up, and then and then I'm like, oh, like I've just spent four and a half hours like on this Producing on this track, this. and I'm like, and then I listen back to it, I'm like, okay, I still have a lot of things I would like to try on this, but I'm like, let me send it to Nate so at least he knows that like I worked on it, and then Nate's like, I really like this, can I send it to Transviolet? No, well, that's what I said. What what happened was that it was just, two in the morning. It. it was because it, it was four in the morning for him, so it was two in the morning for me in Colorado. Uh, I was like in um, my grandparents' living room like a bit sad, a bit like I couldn't sleep. Like I was just kind of like pacing. I, I was walking outside. I walked back inside. I was just more or less pacing around the house. And he sent this to me and I and I listened to it. And 
I like straight up start crying because it's this big thing when the chorus yeah. hits and like it's so it's very emotional. And I you think hear I the lyrics. The first time yeah. I, I heard it when Noah sent it back. I cried. So I, I'm crying, and, and literally, <laughs> it's just like um, in the recording, it's like version zero. Like it, he's like, this is not ready to send to anybody yet. And I text him back. I'm like, well, I'm showing Sarah in the morning. So I don't, <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, and then I didn't really touch it past that point. Like I, I tossed it off to y'all, and you, you did what you did with it, and it was like, yeah. It didn't well, the need guys anything. were like immediately obsessed because I'm always like a little hesitant when I like write with other people because it's always like a risk to like have them do any production at all. Because if the guys like aren't into the production, it's like they just they'll just kind of like not be into the whole thing, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, uh, but I thought it was like really cool off the bat. So I was like, oh, I hope the guys are really into this because I, I really like this direction. And they they were like right off the bat, you know. That's why I'm, I'm glad it didn't do too much to it because I think it gave them the space. The room, to, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think also like the um, writing the recording of it wound up being so smooth. Like I remember, yeah. like we just you know we were t- sending demos back and forth, um, but by and large the first demo wound up sounding with like you know. Like I think we we also had a collective idea of what this thing was was gonna be, which was which was really cool. I just I remember really distinctly when we were in the the Buskin house. You know, like at this point we were we were friends, and I think at this we'd we'd already hung out like with Chris at one, at one point too. But when we were recording, when it got to the like the part and oh, you, yeah, and you yeah. sang it, mm-hmm. my brain did that thing where it was like it sounds like the voice from Girls Your Age. Oh right, it is the voice <laughs> from Girls Your Age, and I remember having this like for like maybe like 10 seconds, it's like little like pang of panic. It was like a very interesting, <laughs> like, you know, compartmentalized brain uh, chemistry thing that happened in that session. I don't think I ever told you about that. Oh, that's so was, sweet. I also just, had a similar thought, like when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, that sounds like the girls are, I'm like, oh, it is right. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, it's because when a thing is like there for you, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when a song you know has like this sort of history with you, oftentimes like a song's history is like outside of, Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I have to say the the first time because we, when you're touring with Magic Bronson, I heard it in Los Angeles and and mm-hmm. no, I heard it in Boston. 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 And we, yeah. we independently so he saw were, it first, yeah. then he saw it last, and yeah. we were just we were, we cry every time yeah, you all play I just, it. Right? Always, cry. I, I have to like try not to cry when I'm singing. It will like ruin my vocal performance <laughs> if I'm crying, so I'm always just like stuffing that down mm-hmm. somewhere. <laughs> um, it's just yeah. Uh, there's a, a video because I, I took my friend to the Echo show. And there was just a video of me just like screaming at the top uh, of my lungs, like. I'll show it to you. It's 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 funny though. But uh, okay, so we're we're now ready for MySpace lightning round questions. Okay. Are you are you ready for these? I'm kind of nervous, but okay, oh, I'm yeah. ready. Well, here's the thing. I don't know what we're gonna get. Even though I I think I've read these questions at this point maybe like three times. This is the, well, the third time I've read them. I still don't remember them. So we're just gonna see what happens. I'll try my very best. Do you like blue cheese? Uh, no. I don't like blue cheese. I don't think anybody really <laughs> likes blue cheese. Have you ever smoked a cigarette? Yes. Either. Should I give details or should I just like say yes? Uh, give details where you want to give details. Okay. I yes, I smoked cigarettes because I was in art school and they didn't let us have <laughs> breaks unless we were smokers. Well, like I was in these like four hour classes and all the kids that smoked got to go outside. And if you didn't <laughs> smoke, you didn't get, a call, get, get to go outside. So I picked up the habit. But I don't smoke anymore. It's gross. Uh, what do you prefer to drink in the morning? Coffee. Yeah, that's that's, Water that's and the right coffee. answer. Yeah. And, and anybody, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like when people tell me that they like like decaf coffee or they don't drink coffee, there's like a a New Yorker part of me that just dies. I'm like, how do you how do you get through the day? Chris is like so healthy. When he first wakes up, he drinks this concoction of apple cider vinegar, Ooh. lemon oh my God. in hot water with cayenne pepper and it's like supposed to be really good for you and I always like look at him doing that I'm like I could do that too but then I just like don't do it and he just is like is one of those people he doesn't ever drink coffee he only drinks tea 
So it just makes me feel like the biggest piece of shit. Every, <laughs> every day I'm drinking like four to five cups of coffee. Right. I like try to give up coffee and I'm just like. It's impossible. I'm I've like, given up. Even after a couple of days, I'm like, okay, cool. Now that the withdrawal is gone, I'm just a now little more tired again. than yeah. usual. <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound like fun. I think also just growing up in Italy, like I just like coffee. Me like, too. I mean, that, maybe that's where like people drink decaf. It's like if you like coffee and you don't want the caffeine, but it's also like. I, don't I know. like the like, ritual of like, making coffee. Like yeah. I like like grinding the coffee beans mm-hmm. and putting it in my French press and like boiling the water and like pouring. I don't know. I just like it's very the meditative. Whole, yeah, it like, is. I'm just gonna do this thing. And yeah, then... it's nice. My, my mom orders uh, decaf, and I think whenever whenever she orders it, I always like want to say something, and I'm just like, don't be mean. It's early in the it's morning. Fine. But I want to be mean. And 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 if she's listening to this, decaf's ridiculous. <laughs> um, can you do push-ups? Yes, I'm very strong. What's your favorite meal? Mm, that's hard. I really like Thai food and I really like acai bowls. Yeah, and I like burritos. <laughs> All those things. Favorite hobby that isn't music? Mm, yoga. Ooh, name a trait you hate about yourself. I don't like the negative stuff, but maybe this will be enlightening. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist in a way that's like not always constructive. Like Especially, I feel like as a vocalist, being a perfectionist can be really detrimental because mm-hmm. no vocal is ever going to be perfect. And it's <laughs> the imperfections that make vocals like truly great. And being scared of not being perfect is never going to create like an amazing vocal so you have to just like step outside of that to lay down Mm -hmm. a vocal so that's something I don't I want to I want to get rid of that I don't want to be like fearful about anything and I think perfectionism is something that causes fear yeah one of the best pieces of advice I got back when I was doing film stuff was from another sound designer who said that perfectionism people don't realize about perfectionism that it's always going to also be a matter of context So it's not just, is this uh, from a qualitative standpoint, perfect? It's, is it perfect with the conditions of time and resources? Mm -hmm. So I've I've always been able to be like a bit calm about that. There's also this great quote from um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. That's uh, how to make perfect art. Step one, be a perfect person. Step two, make art. So I just like, I I love that because for me, it's, it makes everything kind of about like making art high quality stuff it's like okay the things i'm making are as tied into what i'm eating and how mm-hmm. i'm feeling and how i'm like engaging how your mood in every, is. yeah how, how i'm engaging every part of totally. my life though you yeah. know like there's been times i like don't like a vocal and it's not because any of the notes are wrong but it's because i remember how i felt when i was in that vocal booth mm-hmm. and i'm just like i don't like that vocal because i don't like i, I feel like i can hear my bad mood like right. in the vocal and yeah, i'll just like want to read i'll want to like retract the vocal because i was like i remember being in that vocal booth feeling like insecure or feeling like nervous or whatever the feeling is yeah. you know but i know people who don't play video games because they're like oh i would always feel bad like if i had work to do but i played video games instead and i'm like i i sometimes will play video games because that's part of me like that that's part of like me being a person yeah, yeah. and like you know relaxing myself and like getting into a, you know a zone or at least just feeling like every second of my life isn't about working yeah. so when it does come to making art you know, I'm I'm a more well-rounded. Yeah, individual. and the more the more you take care of yourself, I think you, you're able to do your best work. And it's 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 important. I have to I have to remind myself constantly that like it's not always unproductive to take time to yourself because 100%. then the time you spend intentionally working is often better for it. Or uh, eating and showering. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Self care. No, it's a yeah. huge thing. Like I I now because I would I would go like 
literally like um, like months without a day off. And then I'd be like, why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel crazy? Why do I feel like terrible or empty mm-hmm. inside? It's like, well, because you haven't like taken any time just to like be and and to be inspired. Like you have to like, I think, take those moments of silence and those moments of not doing anything and just breathing and just being with yourself to like be a great artist and now um i will like actually like in my calendar like schedule like days off and i'll like i actually have um (laughs) this sounds like so old but uh i like schedule like self-care nights and like me and like a bunch of other like female artists will all like get together and we'll do like face masks (laughs) and like paint nails and just like watch a scary movie and just like hang out like and just you know do these very like girly like self-care things i don't even know where they're girly they're not girly but yeah, i mean i do, fa- I yeah. do hella face yeah. masks <laughs> guys guys need to get in on this too it is I, it's the best thing i've ever done it's like, i get a massage once a month that's brilliant because um, i i need like i feel like i need it but it but again it's it it comes down to how are you treating yourself yeah as a person because totally that will always affect the, the stuff that you make and the art that you make. And how you treat, treat other people. And how you treat other people. Yeah. Like how you're treating yourself like is, is a reflection on how you like treat the world around you and how you treat the people you love. So if you don't like love yourself and like take care of yourself, like how are you like going to take care of other people? Well, it's also like when you have a headache, you know how they say like your your brain can't actually feel pain. So it's always coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I'm ever, I'm feeling like depressed or anxious, I have like a sort of mental checklist. I'm like, okay, did you get a good amount of sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, have, have you, you eaten, eaten today? Yeah, um, did you eat? <laughs> uh, do you have like pending work? Is that what's weighing on you? Is there a relationship thing that's like weighing on you? Is it financial? Is it? And so I go through this sort of checklist, and if I exhaust the checklist, and there isn't something that could be like fixed on the ground, you know, if there's not something that could be fixed there. I'm like. Oh, okay, cool. It's probably because it's winter. You yeah. know, it's like, no, and it's like, and I don't mean to be condescending, but that's like very mature of you. It took me a, a long time to like figure that out yeah. about myself that like when I was anxious, like I, there was probably like something causing that. Or sometimes it is just like your brain chemicals are like fucked and you're just like making you feel anxious. But even in those moments, you could be like, oh, okay, like this is just my brain being stupid. Right. Yeah. And, and I can just like, and I can it. just close my eyes and breathe and like feel like visualize where that feeling is and try to like soften it with my breath or whatever. Well, and that's, yeah, I think, I think that that checklist was just trying to figure out is your brain being weird because it's like missing something. Yeah. It's missing, like, have like, you not drank any water? When's the last water? time you drank like, water? Yeah. Like, do you need to just like stretch your hamstrings yeah. for a second? You know, do like, can you just do something that just makes you feel a and little we, bit we better? We live in a desert too. So like, yeah. like being dehydrated very much sneaks up on you. Totally. Um, also my face like just peels sometimes. <laughs> and the thing is, is that oftentimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, why is my face peeling? I'm like, when was the last time I put on a moisturizer? Five days ago. <laughs> How much water am I drinking? Oh yeah. yeah like, yeah. There, there are all these things like your body is telling you what's wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, by and large. Uh, so it's like the headache. It's like, obviously it's not necessarily what's up here. It's like how the whole system's working. And I think it comes back to like, we were talking about this earlier, but not like letting those feelings become like your identity, but understanding that those feelings are like separate of yourself. Like just being like, I am not an anxious person. Like I feel anxious sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, and that anxiety like doesn't define me or like my depression doesn't define me. Like I'm just sad sometimes and that's going to happen. And then I'll be sad one day. And when I'm sad, I just know that that's not going to last forever. That's an impermanent feeling. That's just a a state of being that's temporary. And I don't have to like get overwhelmed or lost in it. I can just let myself be sad for however long that lasts and like acknowledge that feeling. That's okay. 
and it'll go away eventually. Well, and that's, I mean, that's also just like a very healthy way of looking at it. I think the things that used to really hurt me was like, okay, I'm going to be this depressed forever. Okay, yeah, I'm going to be this think- anxious forever. Mm-hmm. Like you totally. see the long road yeah. and mm-hmm. you're like, wow, there's so much to do before, you know, I die. And I think that that's always, whenever I've felt like very genuinely, you know, suicidal, it was always about like, wow, there's so much life ahead of me yeah and how exhausting and how that exhausting seems. that seems when you're when you're when exhausted you're right now yeah. yeah and so yeah knowing that it's like not um uh you know not permanent like permanent is is or even just you is like so, yes so totally totally um so we're, we're doing the lightning rounds poorly i think this is, but this <laughs> is great like that, that was a very tangent. boring conversation what's your middle name Marie, M-A-R-E-E, because my mom felt like being creative, I guess, (laughs) with the spelling. (laughs) Um, Name three thoughts you have at this moment. Mm, Okay. Um, I kind of have to pee. Um, (laughs) It looks all gray outside, but it's kind of beautiful. The clouds are nice. And I can't wait to release our album. Yeah. Which, yeah, before we end, I want to talk about what's coming next. Uh, name three drinks you drink regularly. Probably not great because you got to pee. I could skip no, this one. No, it's fine. It's okay. Uh, I drink coffee like way too much, like all the time. Like my favorite thing is just like an iced almond milk latte. I also really enjoy like fresh pressed juice. <laughs> so yeah. LA. Uh, but yeah, like I love, like I genuinely like love like carrot juice with like ginger in it. Yeah. Like I love ginger so much. Yeah. Um, current worry right now. Other than your bladder. Mm. <laughs> Current worry right now. Uh, I guess I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed because we have a bunch of songs that like aren't actually recorded yet. And I keep like, and it's a very um, like unfounded worry because I have them all like written down. <laughs> but I keep like worrying I'm going to like forget about one or something. <laughs> so like we have a bunch of songs that are like actually complete. And like I'm like, okay, good. That's like done. But then there's literally like six songs that I haven't even laid down the vocals or chords yet. I'm just like, they're just like living in a vo- vocal note right now. And it's <laughs> like that makes me like so nervous. Oftentimes, and people don't realize this, if you, if you do wind up writing a lot of songs, you could lose songs for some of the dumbest reasons. Oh, like, yeah, you'll yeah. forget. Like, yeah, it's like, like somewhere on your voice memos, you forgot what you named it. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, just. Totally. Like, there's been times I've forgotten a song and only when the other songwriter or producer is like, hey, like, what what's happening with the song? I'm like, oh, oh fuck. Yeah, I that totally, one. that song's <laughs> awesome. I totally forgot about it. The, the other day, Noah was playing a song on the piano and I'm like, that sounds like really cool and like really like familiar but not like too familiar like i'm like no like what is that he's like you wrote that that's like, so funny uh, and, and, and I'm, like, I, I'm like that's really good and he's like yeah like maybe we should do something with it yeah. i was like oh okay like that's uh i had that moment actually the other day i was like humming something and i was like who sings that song this is really cool and i was like oh shit that's that song i wrote with kai the other day and i totally haven't laid it down yet okay i need to like Make time to record those. I've, I've had dreams where I'm like at a music festival and there's an artist on stage singing a song and I realize in the dream that I'm making up the song that the artist is singing mm. and then wake up and like try to sing it into my phone. But it's never good. Never, but in my yeah. head, I'm like, there's this is it. This is brilliant. There's like, there's like yeah. 10,000 people in the audience, so it must be good. Like that yeah. was, you know. It's like, I'm always so impressed by my brain being like, whoa, you're making this entire musical arrangement right now in real time. And then it's like, I want to capture that. And it's like, when yeah. you wake up, there's never. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Favorite place to be? In the ocean. I love, mm. we, I was recently in the Cayman Islands and got super into like free diving. Oh, wow. I don't know if you guys ever done that, but it's like you're diving without like the scuba scuba gear. And I didn't think I could do it, but I was like in the ocean with my cousin. Because I'm one of those people like I would go down like five feet and immediately panic and shoot back <laughs> up the surface and be like, <gasps> 
And then he was like, no, no, it's chill. Like, just like lie, like be super still and like breathe and then get, get calm and then slowly go down. And then by the end, I was going like 50 feet mm. and I, I was like get, swimming awesome. through caves and level. stuff. The ocean like, makes it me was really sick. anxious. It used to make me really anxious too. And just like this last trip, it was like super chill. And even like, I was like, I saw a nurse shark and we were friends and nice. like I was friends <laughs> with all these like huge fish and it was fine. I wasn't scared of them. It's really, it's nice. My dad loves scuba diving. I think I, I broke his heart uh, when I like decide because the thing is I get cold very easily like very easily yeah and even like with a wetsuit and everything like he tried to like enroll me in like classes and stuff when like when we would go to Aruba or whatever as a kid um I think I found him was just like I don't think I'd ever be able to do I said that though I said I was never gonna scuba dive and then like just this year like I'm gonna go get certified this month I'm like it's scheduled oh wow that gives me hope for myself you'll probably get over it yeah talking about getting certified yeah yeah talking about getting certified how did you bring in the new year speaking of um what the hell was I doing? I remember oh, it was very uneventful. I was like gonna go do something and I was just like staying home. Like I didn't I was like very uneventful <laughs> about I it. Can. I didn't care. Um but I did have resolutions, which I've already like been working on. My resolution was to go on more adventures. And this year I've already went to the Cayman Islands. Hmm. I went on a helicopter ride to the Grand Canyon. Oh, I did that as a kid. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I went to Vegas. So I'm having, I'm doing it. I'm doing, I'm having some adventures. Adventures. My, my, so far, one so of my good. resolutions was take more risks. Oh, I like that. So, uh, <laughs> favorite place to go? Anywhere in nature. Like I love, I love just being oh, surrounded too. by trees and green, greenery. Like I, re, I guess like most recently I went on this camping trip with like 12 other women and we were at this place called Buckeye Flats and mm. it's in one of the national parks. Um, but it's like, there's these huge granite boulders and through the boulders, there's this pristine like stream, like a river that goes through it. And it's literally like, it's this lagoon and it's literally like the bluest, mm. like most clear water ever. And it's like freezing fucking cold. So we were all just like skinny dipping in this like lagoon and it was so magical. And I want to go back there. Can you whistle? Mm, I can like whistle, but I can only like suck in and whistle. Like I can't blow out and whistle. <laughs> you try? Can you, can you do any melody stuff? Oh. Uh, <laughs> would you be a pirate mm, no too much violence <laughs> yeah i'm more of a pacifist i feel like so far that's been uh, like the ev everybody we've had so far has said no to that question and i thought that was going to be everyone's going to say yes yeah because you got to worry about scurvy and people killing you again yeah, I mean, it's I fun in theory being a pirate is fun in theory in practice it would be awful i'd be like a hippie pirate like i would go like hang out on a boat and, like a like, robin hood chill. pirate you just yeah. like, rob some big rich yeah. ships like and like rob billionaires yeah like the bernie sanders of pirates yeah i'd be <laughs> i'd be into that but it'd be like bernie with like a b-u-r yeah 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 yeah, I like that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, who is your loudest friend? Hmm. My loudest friend is Judah. Judah is oh, so yeah. loud. I don't know. I like don't even consider consider them friends because they're like my brothers. But Judah is for sure the loudest <laughs> friend I have by far. It's crazy to like uh, getting to know everybody like sort of through all of this stuff. And everybody is so like like Mike, John, and Judah are are some of the most different people. Yeah. I've, mm. I've ever met. Like you know because Judah Judah is. Much louder. But when we were hanging at uh, your place with John, we went down this like rabbit hole of philosophy. Like we were both a bit drunk, but we were like went down. I couldn't even tell you necessarily what we were talking about, but it like it was one of the craziest deep dives into like metaphysics and philosophy I've ever. I was just <laughs> like, 
all right, John, we're doing this. Yeah, like, John and this. I have like those crazy conversations about psychology and meditation <laughs> and like super, yeah, airy stuff like that all the time. And I love it. Worst injury you've ever had? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I used to have like really bad anger problems and I hit my hand through a plate glass window oh and it God. like sliced oh. my wrist Oof. open. It was so Ugh. gross and I like severed a bunch of tendons. I had to get surgery. Is that a scar? Yeah, it's a big scar. It was actually so stupid. My sister was like teasing me and like making faces up at the window and I was like <laughs> going to scare her, but I hit the window too hard. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, what's your worst habit? I guess right now it's just like, I, I think I spend too much time on my phone, like just social media. It's like such a bummer. And I know like every time I do it, it just feels so toxic. I'm just like, <laughs> I do not need to be on my phone right now. But it's like, I'm, I'm trying to become more aware of it, especially when I'm in like a social situation. Like yeah. I think at the... It's like my lifesaver is just to like pull out my phone and like look at it when I'm anxious I do or nervous or awkward. Everywhere. Like, it's, it's, I feel like at times when I force myself, like when I'm feeling uncomfortable to not use my yeah. phone, I just feel like this is so strange. I feel like, like a freak. No one, yeah. yeah, it's like no one does this. No one just stands here without looking. <laughs> yeah, you're like, like what you do your I phone do? Out, you're justified in you're being in your own totally. world. But when you're standing there with your arms down, every, like I'm imagining people are looking at me like, who is this weirdo? Well, like, I, I remember having this like little corner. mini like pang of like, I don't even know what the feeling, maybe it was like guilt or shame. Cause you know, when your f- phone has like the screen time analysis. Oh my God. Thing, I hate it. I, I yeah, I, I got one of those where it's like you average seven hours a day. Yeah. No. I'm like, that can't be right. I mean, the thing is though, like I use my phone for writing as well. So I'm like in my like vocal note, right. voice note. And I'm also in like the notes of my phone writing down lyrics. So I don't feel that bad, but I'm like, also maybe there's GPSing. Definitely, but the thing is it breaks down. Like you can actually go look and it'll break down like how much time you're spending on each app. Yeah. And right. it was still like some, uh, you know, obscene amount of time on social media. Like I was spending hours a day on like Instagram or Facebook. And I'm like, that's, I need to break that habit. Well, habit. well, you know, when, when, I, when I write, like I, I do it um, in like a journal. Yeah. Mostly because if I take out my phone, the crossword's coming out, like yep. Facebook's coming out. Like the moment I get a text, I'm going to be replying to everybody. Like if I'm writing on my phone, it's just got to. And so I, I like, I'll, I'll make sure that everybody who has like their phones um, or like the Google Docs open writes down what I'm what I'm writing. But I like crossing out things and writing yeah, arrows. And I everything. do both. I have like my analog version, which is like my notebooks. But then I, <laughs> I like having like the clean version, like on my phone. Right. And in, in Google Docs is like nice. Well, especially you when collab. you're like reading, um, like when you have to actually record vocals. Yeah, it's yeah. nice yeah. to have something. That yeah, like... yeah. That's just like not my fucking scribbles and cross out <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. What's your favorite book? 1984. Nice. Yeah. Favorite movie? Fight Club. Ooh. Mm. That's interesting. Can I, can I? Yeah. Like, cause you are, you are a feminist that, and I love that yeah, movie. Yeah, it's very, but it's a, a very, of, it's very toxic masculinity, but I don't think, I think it's like, um, I think it's doing it in a way that's like making fun of it. Yeah. There's a degree of self-awareness. There's a degree of, of, yeah. of, of, of context and commentary on it. It. I, I feel like I go back and forth on it. Yeah. I feel like it's a movie like 500 Days of Summer where yeah. I go back and forth about whether or not that movie is good for. See, I feel like 500 Days of Summer is a little more messed up. Because at least, it, like, at least... It, feel, it feels vaguely self-aware towards the end. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess. But there still is always that thing of, like, yes, like, you can you can show something and comment on it, but there is a degree of, Complicity. no matter what, if you show something, you're choosing to show it. And unless your comment on it is very explicit, you, there's a level of gratuity to, like, showing something like violence or showing something like like things that are that are more difficult to like talk about yeah i mean i guess i really like fight club because i like the messages on like on rampant consumerism and and those ideas like that was the first movie i think that really touched on those subjects in such like a real way well, and, ta- and talking like about why, ex- why we were so way. depressed like why we yeah, were so like yeah. fucked up as a generation totally. even yeah. though we didn't have a war we didn't have a 
like a great depression. Like they were talking about what we, what our problems were before we even like knew, knew what they it, were. Yeah. And I love Marla Singer's character as like flawed oh, yeah. as she was. I was like, damn, like this is like, this is like a, it was, you know, I mean, I feel like in media, like you can get so many, like just kind of boring, like female roles. And that was one of the roles where I was like, this is really interesting. Mm. And like from a pet feminist perspective, it was like interesting to see a character like Marla Singer, allowed to exist one of my favorite pieces of, of uh, advice came from the set of fight club if you're standing when you could be sitting down sit down if you're sitting when you could be lying down lie down there's that other um, quote i don't know if it's actually by banksy but it was like in one of his uh works of art it was like don't give up comma rest it was oh, like yeah. so it's like that nice like oh like yeah there's it's not all there isn't I feel like when you're an artist especially because you're you know you have to be self-motivated mm. it feels like there's only two options one is give up and one is just keep going consistently and to have that third option of like you can just take a little break yeah well that's like thing. you go, can go, just take a break and then keep going you don't have to like constantly be yeah, like pushing and that's not yourself giving up. It's, yeah it's back to perfect art I like I almost argue with him you know all the time too it's like you could be working for the next eight hours and through the night and pulling all nighter or we could take a walk around the park and you come back and you're yeah, and you have a fresh perspective. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's I'm like one of those people like I will like sit there like for eight hours and just like want to finish it so bad. And then the second I'm like you know, quote unquote, give up and like go in the shower, the lyric just comes to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was like in high school, I was a, I was a workaholic. I, I would get maybe three or four hours of sleep a night. It was not healthy. Not healthy yeah. And I remember like a, a social studies teacher who he he said do you guys know what the law of diminishing returns is? Here's what it is. It does not matter the work that you put in at a certain point if you are worn out as a person. Totally. 100%. And I, 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 that stuck with me. Like that was, it's weird that the things you learn in high school are not necessarily like the, the, you know, the social studies the or the content. math, but it's like, yeah, no, it's like how, the no, lessons I, of it. Yeah. I had this teacher in high school. His name is Mr. Bertolette and he was my English teacher and he was a great teacher, you know, of English. But I think one of the most valuable things he taught me was like to think critically and to mm. ask questions about the world around me and what was happening. And, you know, he was one of the conduits that kind of helped me question my own belief systems, like question uh, the society around me, question the status quo and helped me to, to you know, become the artist I am today. Well, and, and it's funny, I, I had like a very discouraging music teacher, <laughs> but I had an incredible film teacher. And my film, I think I've learned so, more about like the, the creative processes and work ethic and just how to be with people and feel things. And I've, I've learned more tools that have served me as a musician and as somebody in the music industry from my film teacher than I did from my music teacher. He was very inspiring. He still is. We still send like essays back and forth, Aww. you know? It's nice having teachers like that. I think emotional intelligence is one of those things that isn't explicitly taught in school, but some teachers touch on it in, yeah. in different ways. And that's something that is it's like such a valuable resource to have as a songwriter or as a musician, as a collaborator Just as in a any as, well. as, a, as a human being. Yeah, yeah definitely. But especially in our industry. But in the industry where you're like going to very often be thrown in rooms with five other people from five different backgrounds and five different sets of emotions and right. fears and insecurities. It's like you have to be able to learn how to manage those emotions. And that knowledge isn't something that they really like teach well, in schools right, yeah. explicitly, you know? Uh, emo emotional intelligence and creative problem solving. Like yeah. Those, yeah. And which go hand in hand. Totally. Like, you know, not losing your shit at other people yeah. or in general when you have a, an issue to, to deal with. So much you know? of co-writing is like putting out an idea and 
like that idea might be shot down because yep. it's not what other people are feeling. And you have to just be okay with being like, this is what I think. But then it's like, it's okay if that's not the thing. Or that be able takes, to like politely shut down an idea. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that takes a lot. And I think yeah. that's why it pushes so many of us to either, we either turn into bad, like crappy people or you, you have to become really evolved and mature to like work with people. Yeah. On that you level. become very empathetic. Well, so, yeah. Sorry, it gives you an opportunity to be outside of yourself. I think totally. one, one of the big reasons we started doing the podcast was just because it was, you know, pressing record on conversations where already having like you and I have we've we've all talked just about this stuff in general yeah often just by virtue of the fact to get a good song we've had to yeah or just to be friends we've had to yeah you know? it's totally like, that's how how that goes down so all right we're gonna finish up with a couple more of these questions uh what is your favorite candy I really like like chocolate like so like anything like I like vegan chocolate that's really good <laughs> I like like you know uh like chocolate almonds or chocolate raisins that's mm. all good stuff what song do you want played at your funeral Oh, um, Dark question. I know. I don't know. I think something happy. Happy by Pharrell. <laughs> no, <laughs> not like not like nose. that happy. It needs to be happy like, by Julia Michaels. It needs to be like happy <laughs> sad. So maybe like God only knows. Oh, oh, that's that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. I want a New Orleans like brass band at my funeral. Oh, Just, that'd like, be fun. Going really hard. <laughs> and everyone's dancing and getting drunk. Uh, all right, that's I, I think that's it for the, the for the lightning round. Yeah. Um, what is next for Transviolet? We're finishing up an album right now. So we have, I think, six solid songs right now that are like pretty much finished. And then we're kind of working on the last few now uh, to finish up the album. So yeah, we're <laughs> doing awesome. we're doing that. Like I said, I'm kind of starting to stress because I'm like, I have all these songs that I haven't recorded yet because I've just been in so many sessions like writing new <laughs> stuff that I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to record the stuff that's actually a song so yeah that's what we're working on hey we can't wait for it yeah. uh, as, I'll, as, I'll give you guys a sneak peek please today. do yeah, yeah. That, would, that would be awesome thank you so much for coming by of course yeah. thanks for having me you of guys course. are always so fun to talk to i'm glad we finally got one of these conversations on the record We'd like to thank Jägermeister, Outlaw Energy, and Isotope for their early support of Talking Lion.